All right. Episode 74. It finally arrived, the one we've been sort of dreading, right? You knew that this was coming one way or the other unless they were going to go win the Super Bowl in Miami, and then we didn't have to do this show. It was coming one way or the other. It just happens to have happened the divisional round, 28-23. It's a final, and the season is over. I still didn't really believe it was going to ever end just because every game they found a way to come back and win and seeing them in the victory formation. It was like, wow, this season's really ending. Okay, I guess it's over. But, hey, at least we have Husky Hoops and the Mariners. <laughs> we got lots to look forward to. Remember, this to. is not a Pacific Northwest podcast. Yeah, I understand. I have never marketed this as only a Pacific Northwest podcast. I was talking about as a fan, who, somebody who lives here. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that's what I, I can look I forward too. to I'm watching. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be fun. Uh, and yet they have the ball, and I know we haven't started yet. I'm supposed to only tease the show. Yep. And the, by the way, the show is not going to be all sad and somber and melancholy. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Seahawks. We'll talk about the season. We'll talk about the end of the season, the game in Green Bay. But there's other stuff to talk about. It's not going. We're going to talk about Husky Bass, good Paul, uh, with Jason D. Hamilton. Oh, really? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, good. We're going to talk about uh, the latest diet craze. We're going to do a segment on the latest. It, it's New Year's. What's the biggest New Year's oh. resolution? Oh, yeah. Lose every single year. Everyone, We're all yeah. going to lose weight, right? Yep. Do you know what the biggest craze is this year? I mean, I thought keto was still popular, but it's it not is. that. Okay. It's popular, but this is the biggest phase right really? now. Really? Yeah. The biggest craze, I should say, right now. Yeah. Candy bars and whiskey? It's called IF. Intermittent fasting. Oh, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I tried to do it for a while. It's tough. <laughs> it doesn't suck for me. Did Depends you, on who you are. Did you try it? Well, I kind of do it. Yeah, I yeah. do my version of it. <laughs> I do go as long as I can without eating because I, I usually don't eat breakfast. So, right. so yeah, I, I do sort of try to do it. What is it? 12, uh, it's eight hours and uh, 16 and eight. There are is different that, versions yeah. of it. Yeah. Some of them are you fast for a full day. Other versions are you do eight and 16. Some do 10 and tw- 10 and 14. We're going to get an expert on from oh, the great. Harvard University Medical School. That was my a safe doctor school. from the Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you said Hartford. Already made me feel better about the Seahawks losing. That was your safe school. That's right. Already the see the, the rest of this podcast could be two hours and we will never get a line. That will be the best line. We've well, already blown the best line of the day. All right, I'll save it next my time. My safe school. <laughs> yes. Yes. Doctor Monique Tello of Harvard University's medical school, and she's a physician, is going to tell us about intermittent fasting (IF). And I have trouble saying the word intermittent. I don't know why. I can't hmm. say that, so I have to kind of cut it into two. Intermittent. Otherwise, I can't get it out. Oh, okay. IF. It's a. It's the latest. A lot of books have been written about it. And what's different about this diet, and the reason I'm doing it, what's different about this diet is you've got a lot of physicians, a lot of doctors around the world writing articles that, hey, this is not only good for weight loss, this is actually really healthy for the body. Forget weight loss. Okay. All the other ones, Atkins diets and what did you say the one key? Yeah, keto. Keto and yeah, all yeah. the other. There's a lot of people that would say, oh, yeah, but what does it do to the body? And is it good? Is it good for just weight loss? Whatever. This is like really, really healthy for your body. Intermittent okay. fat. At least that's what everybody says. So I want to get an expert on from your safe school, the Harvard University Medical School, <laughs> yes. to find out, does it work? If it does work, which version is best? If it works, why does it work? And is it true that it's just overall very healthy for your body for you to eat this way? Intermittent fasting, IF, okay? Eating within a specific window and not going Correct. out of it. And yeah. then, And then 
letting your naughty the whole little meals. Have you ever heard the whole thing? Hey, you're better off instead of three oh, meals eating a lot of little of meals. Of course, I've heard that. She yeah, is going to blow that thing right out of the water. Yeah, I've been hearing that my whole life. Right out of the this water. This is what you want to do. No, no. All She's these experts, blow that. you know. Your body apparently needs to stop eating, stop consuming food for a long period of time, and then you start. That's that's the whole basis of the of the diet. I like it. Okay? So we'll have Dr. Monique Tello on from your safe school, the Harvard mm-hmm. University Medical School. We'll have Jason D. Hamilton on, on Washington and Quade Green's academic suspension, which just, is just lousy. Uh, Joel Corey, former agent, CBS salary cap expert on Jadeveon Clown. Now that the season's over... Everybody's going to be asking until we get an answer. Is it is it possible? Is there any chance that Jadeveon Clowney is returning to the Seattle Seahawks on a new contract next year? Everybody's going to want to know. Right? I think fans you would love want to it, know. Right? I want to know. Yeah, but don't you think fans want it? I oh, mean, would love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. But is it possible? Sure. I mean, is it going to happen? So he is. I think the quintessential kind of salary cap free agency guy. He's a former agent. And what we're going to do, Joe Corey and I are going to play. We're going to role play. We're going to do a little role playing on episode 74. Great. He's going to play the role of Jadeveon Clowney's agent. Yeah. And I'm going to play the role of John Schneider. And we're going to find out what it will take. Because as you remember, maybe you don't remember, when they made that trade, and by the way, it was a godsend of a trade. When they made that trade just before opening day, when Schneider made that day trade, he had to come in here and sign the tender, sign the fran- because remember he That's was right. franchised he by Houston. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't sign it. They made the trade. He had to sign the tender for whatever it was, the one-year contract. And the only way he agreed to do that was under one condition, that they're not allowed to franchise him again next year, this year. Yeah. Right. That was the only that, that was that was a provision in that's in writing. So the Seahawks cannot franchise him. Now it's time to pay the piper, right? I mean, it was a he fun deal. He becomes an but- unrestricted free agent, no matter what, unless he signs early with the Seahawks. He gets to do what he wants to do, which is line the NFL teams up and can take the if he wants take the best offer. And so Joe Corey's going to tell us what that best offer probably will be, and what he will want, and what it will take the Seahawks. Think about this: what it will take the Seahawks to sign him before that March date, where he can then negotiate with all teams. For him to waive that oh, off, gotcha. how much will oh, it take geez. for him to say, "Okay, I don't, I, I've wanted free agency all this time. Yeah. Now I'm willing to forego it because I'll take this deal." What's that deal got to be like yeah. for him to do that? Helicopters dumping cash into CenturyLink <laughs> Field. I mean, is that is that what we're gonna see? <laughs> Just fill it up. And of course, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Brought to you by the Fireside Home Solutions people. He will wrap up the game in Green Bay, wrap up the season, and talk about the offseason for the Seahawks. So we have four guests, Great. and then you and me. We're going to talk diets. We're going to talk Huskies. <laughs> we're going to talk clownies. We're going to talk I got all kinds of stuff Seahawks. from the weekend. We've Fun got weekend. other stuff yeah. to do. Plus, I want to, I, want to, I want to take away some time or take up some time to talk about the uh, Mark Halinski interview from 73. Because I've gotten a lot, I've shared some of it with you. I've gotten a lot yeah. of reaction, a lot of email, really nice reaction to that interview from episodes. And, and I've got a couple of them that I want to read. It, it you know, I, I want to read them on the Good. show. I want to read them on the show. Great. Because it's important. I think that's a, an important topic that I don't want to just sweep under the rug now that we've gotten away from it at all. Yeah, touch some people for sure. Uh, I mean, definitely. Yeah. Episode 74 with four guests. 
Uh, Mitch Unfiltered is available on most podcast platforms. The biggies are Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I used to use Podcast Addict. That's when I was an Android user. Oh. I'm not. A, I'm an iOS man yeah, now. You're in the cult now. Yeah, Welcome. I think I was the first one. <laughs> is it were you the first one, really? <laughs> I think I was the first iOS user. Yeah, right. Uh, become a patron and have access to our P episodes. We did one last Thursday. We'll do one this Thursday. It's $5 a month. You get you get an extra show and more bonus content. If you'd like more than one show a week for free, it's 5 bucks a month. You get a second show and then other stuff uh, by becoming a patron. And you do that by going to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on the link. Yep. Become a patron. Uh, 74P will be released on Thursday. Well, unless Snowmageddon hits, like they're saying around our area. There are phones. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can I guess get on there a phone. Are. I don't have a landline. It's not, it wasn't snowing when you when you drove over here on this Sunday night, did, was it? It was not snowing yet, but I did drive my snowmobile over here just in case, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes on the way home. <laughs> God. All right. You should have seen the grocery stores just packed. <laughs> People just like freaking out. I love it. It's so funny to me. All right. Four guests. <laughs> A lot of Seahawk chatter, a lot of other stuff in our last segment as we uh, get ready for episode 74. Episode 74 and all the rest of Mitch Unfiltered, impossible without the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. With the new year here, make certain you give Jordan Flowers' team a call, 425-250-3150, just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family for the last many months. People all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling thousands and thousands of dollars out to do renovations. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and not only the originator of Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients have but still want to grow our money. They're also one of the biggest reasons that Mitch Unfiltered continues to crank out shows week after week. Check them out, evervestment.com. Zeke's Pizza, a New Year's resolution, more sports, more pizza, more craft beer at a true Northwest original. My family and I have spent more and more evenings this year at Zeke's Pizza than ever before. Now with 17 great locations from Linwood to Tacoma, straight to your door as well. Download the Zeke's Pizza app Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, for the month of January, a bottle of Veuve Clicquot champagne for just $40 to celebrate Daniel's 40th birthday. Regularly $145. This month, $40 with the order of two entrees at one of the four incredible spots, Les Shy, South Lake Union, Bellevue, and the spectacular new Daniels in the downtown Seattle Higher Regency, Daniels Broiler World Class Steakhouses. Here comes episode 74, starting right now. Unfiltered. The divisional round is the only round where you've got a team that's been resting for two weeks playing a team that had to go kill itself to catch the trout, to pull the trout. And you want to throw the freaking trout back into the water. Unfiltered. Sometimes I'll actually say to myself, in my mind, I'll be saying, Mitch, I wonder if this person's a left-hander. Like, like uh, I'll tell you a perfect example. I'll give another perfect example. Mike Leach. Left-hander. Yeah. And not a lot of people don't know that because he doesn't throw the football around. But I, I watch him writing. Left-hand. Now, uh, he is the prototypical left-hander. Right. Just a little different than right-handers. Like you, can almost, you can almost sense when you're talking to a left-hander. Mitch is unfiltered.
And here we are, episode number 74. You ready? Episode Manu Tuyasa Sopo. That was pretty good. I thought it was Manu my whole life. Is it Manu, not Manu? I remember watching him as a kid Manu, for the Seahawks. Manu Tuyasa Sopo. He played for Washington, too, right? And then all of his kids. Yep. Didn't all of his kids go to Washington? I know he's had like... I know some of them played, but he has daughters, he has sons. He has yeah. five kids. One was a starting... Look at, look at you. you are, are you familiar with the, the Tuyasa Sopo tree? Is well, that right? I tried to make it happen with part of the tree in my life. Really? And, uh, you t- and Marcus. That's right. He's very <laughs> handsome. Uh, he wasn't feeling me, though, for some reason. But no, his daughter, uh, Leslie, and I went to lunch once, and we used to talk all the time. But and nothing. you tried? Yeah, I really tried. Hard? Full court press? Harder than... I did at that time with anyone. Really? Well, I mean, I, I was on I was on a morning show. How hard was it, right? Just threw the line in the water. But something really? Like, yeah. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, who am I telling, right? So I really you, didn't know about that. I didn't that. put in much effort with anyone, really. Didn't but really you put a lot of effort in, but she felt like I was did, Was she a yeah. fan of the morning show? I don't know. Did she even know about the morning show? She knew of it. I don't know if she listened. It didn't feel like was she- Was there a second date? No, there was not. See, had there been a second date, we would have gone ahead and gone episode Ma- right. Manu Tuyosa Sopo. If the guy's my father-in-law, we have to do it, right? I mean, it could have <laughs> very well didn't work been. out for you. Sure did. Maybe she was looking for you to go to the safe school instead of Eastgate State <laughs> oh, University. She... Had you gone to your safe school, yes. maybe all things would have been different. There was her. plenty of things I'm sure so she didn't like kids. about me. Five kids, yes. So one quarterback. Marcus at the... was pretty good in college. Marcus was a pretty good college quarterback. <laughs> And then Matt played in the Mariner organization. Yeah. And then there was another son. He wore who was, 27, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Yeah. Another son was a fullback at UW. Yeah. 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 Then he had a daughter that played on the softball team at UW. So they all went to, did they all go to the UW? And then we Leslie was all American volleyball player at UW. So all five went to UW. I, I don't know if Matt did the Mariner. Oh, Matt, the, maybe he didn't go to any. Yeah. He uh, might have He might have signed out of high school. My point is, it should have been 10 kids. Woodenville, they Woodenville yes. guys? Yeah. Woodenville High School. Yep. So episode <sighs> Manu, it's not going to be Manu Tuiasa Sopo. It's right? not. Okay. Okay. Nice fellow. Well, I can if you want to override me. I mean, there's not really – I mean, 74 offensive linemen, defensive yeah. linemen. We'll get to the there's, – there's three or four of them that, that will stand out at the end. We'll do that at the end. That's the last thing that we do. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Packers 28, Seahawks 23. It's over. <sighs> missed field goal and a missed two-point conversion. Adds up to five. Oh, really? We're going there? I, I don't know if it – I mean, they probably wouldn't have gone for the two-point conversion. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but it's just funny to think about the the, the two things they missed even, out on. I, I tell you what, I wouldn't have even gone for the two-point. I wrote that on Twitter, and I know that people think, oh, because he missed it, Mitch. That's I actually started typing it before. I just didn't get it out in time. I would not have gone for the two-point conversion. It, as it turns out, it didn't really matter that much. Yeah. I thought it was really early in the game. I think there were still 10 minutes yeah, to go. I was going to say like 930 went, or something. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things can happen that one point, but – they went for the two-point conversion. I had already forgotten about Jason Myers. I guess I go into every game just assuming that he's going to miss a kick. I just have, for the money and the contract that they gave him, I'm not sure that they can even let him go. I mean, I, I, they obviously can let him go. Yeah. I think there would be some consequences, some dead money con- I don't know that – I think you should just assume that Jason Myers is going to be the kicker for the Seahawks next year. I'm fine I don't know, with maybe, it. Maybe, I'm fine with it. He may, <laughs> what, he missed one 50-yard field goal and we hate the guy? A 50-yarder in Green Bay? That's not easy. Wait a second. Uh, wait, wait a second. Is that the only one he missed all year? Well, in the playoff game, I'm talking okay. about. <laughs> I think we're not just discussing that one. I think that there's some other things that might have happened along the way that leads us to back. not have faith. I told you, you he's see- fixed. He's fixed. He missed a 50-yarder. So what? All right. It's not going to be Jason Myers talk on the podcast. Looked today. like one of my drives. Yeah. I mean, it was it was god awful right off his foot. But that's not why they lost. No, it sure isn't. But they had a chance. They had the ball with four minutes and 55 seconds to go. 
I think you asked me last week, and I said at some point Russell Wilson will have the ball down. You four always or tell five me that, and, that no matter how bad and how bleak it looks at halftime, yeah. that this is what this team does, and and vice versa is true too. No matter how good it looks at halftime, which by the way, it never looks good at halftime. <laughs> yeah, we should talk that about that happen? because they're never good in the first half. But no. you always say to me, it doesn't matter whether they look good at half or that it looks bad at half. There's all it's always going to come down to the end, and yet. After I sent out a poll question, I used the, whatever, the 12 minutes that we had at halftime. I sent out a 12-minute Twitter poll asking what's going to happen here. It was 21 to 3, and it looked, it looked like they were dead yep. in the water. I would right? have said they were dead in the water. Yeah. And right. I gave three choices. One was they're going to get stomped. One, second one was they're going to make a game of it. And third one is they're going to win. And I think getting stomped was like 45%. I think making a game of it was 45% and 10% was they're going to win. And I sent you a text at halftime because I wanted you to get on record so that you didn't come in here on episode Manu, Manu, (laughs) episode East Gate State. I did did not want you coming in here and saying, you just knew they were going to make a game. game." I wanted to get you on record. And what did you write back? I said, are they going to make a game of it? And you wrote. No, absolutely not. It's over. It's. It's the least fun I've ever had watching a first half of a Seahawks playoff game ever. That first half was... They're all like this. Go back and look at their playoff games. They're all like this. They're they're always down big. They're they're always down big at the half. I couldn't listen to my own advice in that first half. They always come out in the second half and make plays. By the way, I'm not suggesting that I thought that they were going to make a game of it, but there's there's just... They've got to figure that out. That's one of the things they've got to figure out. And yeah. I heard you were asking me about him uh, before the, uh, the episode. We started to record the episode. Dave Wyman, yeah. former linebacker, you know, kind of radio superstar. and, and Former and, linebacker, and, and he, yes. Radio superstar. <laughs> and he's on, I heard I, we were watching the 13 uh, postgame show yep. with Aaron Levine and those guys. And I heard Dave Wyman say over and over, and it's hard to figure out. It, I'm, it's hard to under, And he's like a Stanford guy. I mean, he's like the smartest guy in the room. In any room that he goes to, he's the smartest guy in the room. And he kept on saying it over and over again. I was yelling at him. He wasn't hearing me, but I was yelling at the TV, hoping that he I don't understand it. It's hard to explain why they're not good offensively in the first half. And, I, and I'm here yelling, no, no, it's not. I, maybe it's because I didn't go to Stanford, yeah. but it's. I went to the Harvard of Central New York. <laughs> <laughs> Close. <laughs> they play Sandlot football. How many times do I have to say this on, on these episodes? They play when they get behind. They put the ball in number three's hands yeah. and they play like they're on the freaking playground. He runs around. Did you, did you did you have did you have recess when you were a kid? Of course. Did you go out and play football? I was the best recess quarterback of all time. And it was a- <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I mean, ever. I always won. Yes, I loved it. It okay. was great. Yeah. Go well, long and do the whole. Yeah. You just you just go. You guys. Yep. You didn't even. No, you didn't even. You didn't even call plays. You just got up and there's probably 40 kids playing on That's offense right. and 45 <laughs> kids playing on defense. Nobody blocking. And, and the quarterback <laughs> ran around. That's what he does in the second half, and that's when they're at their best. And now, it's not hard to explain. Now, where I would say to Dave is, if David was in the room, I would say, now it might be hard to figure that. It might be hard to implement that. How do you implement that in the first half? That's, they yeah. play that way because they're behind and they're desperate. When they're behind and desperate, they play best. that way, and that's when they're at their best. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, come on. It, it's as it's as clear as the nose on my face. I mean, that's more than crystal clear. <laughs> 
the first three drives, offense combined for 52 yards on 13 plays and three points, those first three drives. So maybe Dave's wondering, well, I understand when they're good, but how do we do that in the first half, right? I mean, that's, well, if that's, that's what the case, I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. You, you got to play a little bit more footloose and fancy free. Is they, that come a- in, they come in, you know, uh, about 15 or 20 years ago, somebody decided that scripting the first 15 plays, you've heard of this oh, before, Oh, yeah, I right? used to do it. Mike, when I coached. And you coached? Yeah, I coached in high school. Okay. Yeah. So we you script the, it, yeah. the Mike Holmgren used to you script the first fifteen plays. You come out, you know, you you do them in the ballroom on Saturday night. They walk, through, walk through the ballroom. Yep. And then you know the fifth I don't know. I, I I think you better throw the first fifteen plays yeah. out the window with this team. They are just at their finest when he's running around at recess. And I don't know exactly. I'm I'm not a I'm not a highly paid assistant coach, so I don't know exactly how you pick that up and you put that into the first half. But there's got to be a way. You got a full off season to figure that out. And then the other thing is, look, say what you want. I actually have it on my notes to say that this game was the perfect kind of microcosm for the season. This game, this Packers Seahawks game, was kind of the season, which is. You had really no business being in the game at the end. Yeah. With the way the game was going on, you had no business. Well, Eagle fans would say you had no business even being in Green Bay. <laughs> I mean, well, right. <laughs> yeah. You had no business being in this Green Bay game at the end. Yep. And yet you still were in the game. The truth is you had no business being in this round of the playoffs with the way this team was constructed yep. and the productivity. Of this, but you were. And the reason you were, and I wonder if there's any bashers left. I don't know if there's any Russell Wilson bashers left. But the guy is absolutely a magician he's absolutely he is he single-handedly gives you guys a chance to win he is the reason i mean hugh millen since we're talking about radio superstars hugh millen used to always say to me when we'd have him on the show he'd say mitchie the game of football is five equal parts run offense pass offense run defense pass defense and special teams Special teams is one-fifth, and those are the other things. Let's go. You want to go through those? And you tell me of those what the Seahawks, by the end of the season, were good at. <laughs> right. All right? Are they, were they a good run offense at the end of the season? No. Okay. Were they a good run defense at the end of the season? No. Were they a good pass defense? Oh, at the no. Were they a good special teams? Nah, not, not particularly. Right. Okay. They were one-fifth. Pass offense when desperate. That's it. The quarterback. That's what they it's were. True. So it. They had no business really being in this game at the end, but they were because of number three, and they had really no business being in the second round of the playoffs, but they were in it because of number three. The truth is all of these close games that they won, they won because of the quarterback. Yep. He kept them in games. He won games at the end. If you had had a good, not great quarterback, if you had had the 12th best quarterback in the NFL or the, the 10th best quarterback in the NFL, you wouldn't have made the playoffs. You would have won eight games. You would have won seven games. You would have gone seven to nine. And if you had had on Sunday, if you had had the 10th or the 12th best quarterback on Sunday, you would have lost 31 to 10. But you lost 28 to 23, and you had a chance because of number three, and you got to the second round of the playoffs and really outperformed where you should have been because of number three. I And I have, you know, I, I have come around on him over the years. 
I never disliked him. I know there's a lot of bashers out there. I but never disliked him. Bashers how? Are you talking about on the field or off the field? Game or? manager, not that oh, good. Gotcha, not yeah. as good as as all the other guys. Don't put him in I the see. same breath as Breeze and Brady and Rodgers. He's just a he's Game good. Manager, and yeah. then early in his career, it's because of their defense. Their defense is so good, and that's why they go places. He's just an ordinary quarterback. I've heard it all. And and I don't I, I wouldn't say that I was one of those guys. I was never like Russell Wilson is the guy. Is, is the greatest gift to, to me. But in the last few years, I, I'm throwing my hands up. The guy is superhuman. He should have been sacked 12 times on Sunday. <laughs> 12 I, 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 He yeah. was he, Houdini. It was unbelievable the way he was extending plays and making plays. And when you look at his numbers, his numbers aren't that great from Sunday. He had no... Can you... I mean, think about if you had no running game. He's got no running game. Right. Every time he hands the ball off, it's second and nine. His running back is an old Alta Cocker who, God help him, he came on. He had two touchdowns. We're all going to taco time <laughs> right. for two more free tacos on Tuesday. It's taco time Tuesday at all locations. God love Marshawn Lynch for coming back. He didn't have much left. The offensive line, by the time they got to this game, they're playing a center who's my size. Right. Come on. A third string guard. Uh, yeah. You got no I mean, your third string guard. Yep. They're playing it. Let, let me just say, uh, and I, there's a, so, I have so many things that I kind of want to say. Not that I kind of want to say, that I do want to say. So we'll just say them. I, I know I'm all over the place and I'm scattered and I apologize. But while I think of them, I want to say them. Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown. You know, I don't know how many Seattle, I, all these people that wear jerseys on Fridays, Blue Friday. Oh, yeah. I feel like every once in a while, like going into a Starbucks and seeing everybody wearing these jerseys, start asking people how much they really know about the Seahawks. How many of these people that are wearing jerseys on Blue Friday know who Dwayne Brown is? What percentage of those people know who Dwayne Brown is? I'd they all know Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah. They all know Tyler Lockett. Do they know who Dwayne Brown is? 35% of people who wear jerseys okay. on Friday. Scott, that guy had freaking knee surgery 20 days yeah. on the Monday. The Monday that this show comes out will mark three weeks. He had knee surgery. He didn't practice one step, as Pete Carroll said the whole week. And yet at the hotel on Saturday night, he said to his guys, I'm playing. Yeah. I'm playing. I- I'll guarantee you 99 out of 100 offensive linemen are not playing in that game having had knee surgery 20 days earlier. It's a warrior, for sure. The fact that he was out there was amazing that they didn't have to go to George Fant or somebody else. And every time I saw Clowney make a play, I'm thinking, this guy's got to have surgery in his abdomen. And like, he's another story. Oh, my He's gosh. another story. But at the end of the day, and I know that's the most used, overused phrase ever, what were they? They were never good defensively. They had their moments defensively, like in the San Francisco first game on that Monday night, and Clowney was a, a just a... Just a shooting star amongst, you know, Bobby Wagner had a good year. I don't know that he had an all-world year, his reputation. I mean, he, he had a good year. Yeah. But th- defensively, have how many of these podcasts have we talked about them defensively just not being good enough defensively? I put that in my notes. <clears throat> I said Devontae Adams must have watched every Seahawks game and listened to every podcast because early on you were saying this, they're soft over the middle, the slants, the slants, no pass rush, and all those things sort of came to fruition in the Green Bay they game. They can't stop anybody. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They can't stop anybody. And on big downs, I mean, how many times do you have to watch the Packers on third and nine and third and ten? Everybody, oh. I know that there's a lot of people on social media that are like, how oh, could you not go for it on fourth and 11? You didn't go for it. And then you never got the ball back, right? They didn't go for it. Let's remember a couple things. Number one, 
I hate to say it, but Malik Turner is going to have a long offseason. Yep. That ball hit him between the one and the seven. And what do we teach our kids? Since you were a coach, yep. what do you teach wide receivers? What would Larry Fitzgerald had done yep. had that ball was coming to him? What would he have done? Would have caught it with his hands. Two feet from his body. Yep. That ball would have never gotten close to the one or the seven. Or in, in his case, the one yep. and the one. Right? He let that ball come in the way high schoolers do or, or grade schoolers do. He tried to do this. The ball hit him. in the, uh, He's going to have a bad I, – I was convinced – when they sacked Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. yeah, Shaquille. When, when the when the Griffins got there oh, so and they sa- sacked him, they got off the field finally. They got the ball with four fifty five to go. They hit Tyler Lockett on the first play. There was absolutely no question in my mind. They are going down for the go ahead score. The only thing, because I'm a passionate pessimist, I was thinking was it's four fifty five to go. Are they going to score and leave? You know, a minute on the clock yeah. so that the defense can come in in a prevent and Aaron Rodgers goes right down the field and beats. That was my only question. I knew they were I knew they were going for the go-ahead touchdown, and that ball hits him between the one and the seven at the 50-yard. They were going yep. in for the score. Russell Wilson was red hot at that point, just red hot. I mean, that, that ball he threw to him was absolutely – if there was a target in the center of his chest, it would have hit it. It like was it Marino-like. Let's just call it what it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. i got to think about that from memory. All but. Right, so, so he – drops that ball that's the first down play then they get Hollister for five so it's third and five and they're at like the 36 no they're at the 42 yard line and he gets sacked the guy comes around Ugh. the tackle and he doesn't really see him in the last minute he gets sacked so in, instead of fourth and five on an incomplete pass we've got fourth and 11 and everybody wants him to go for it well, they've got three timeouts left, and there's two minutes and 30 seconds to go. And the two-minute warning, right? I mean, and the two-minute yeah, warning. Yeah. And it's fourth and 11, and there's not a, I know he's superhuman, but you, you lose a lot of the playbook when you go from third and five to fourth and 11. I had no pro, and I know the defense sucks, and people are going to yell at the podcast. Mitch, you're, you're, you're here saying the defense sucks. But, I mean, come on. The defense has got to be able to get off the field. And then they had, as you said, two chances. Third and nine, third and ten, twice. Adams from the slot, easy. Pass the kid from Oregon. And then, of course, Jimmy Graham, of all people. L- Lano Hill, Lano Hill, whatever you, however you pronounce his second game, giving him all kinds of cushion. All he's got to do is, is be up on him so that he that, that's a seven-yard gain instead of a ten. He falls forward for the first down. He had two shots. Two shots on third down. Yeah, two shots. Man, you got to stop him. And they can't stop him because their defense has not been good all year. It has not been good all year. Was there any time during this season after a game where you said, oh, boy, this is a Super Bowl team? I think it no. is. But it's kind of funny. They were like two wins away from going to the Super Bowl. But I never once this year because, thought this is a Super Bowl team. Because they – at one point, they were, you know, well, you say no on run offense. Before, before the Arizona game, when Chris Carson – and Rashad Penny were healthy before yeah. a game or two before that. They were going really well on offense. So they they had the passing game going. They had the run game going. But, you know, defensively, they never were good enough. They didn't put real pressure on quarterbacks on a consistent basis week to week. They had a couple games that stood out, whatever, but they really didn't do it. And their secondary, I mean, Trey Flowers. I say their secondary, but I don't really have that much of a problem. I, li- I like the kid, uh, Quandre Diggs. Diggs. Well, it, I like him. I like him when he's on the field. He seems like he can't stay healthy. He yet. was out there on Sunday, wasn't he? Why was Lano Hill out there then? That, that, that's the backup well, safety. 
Yeah, I don't know whether Diggs was not out there on that play. Now, maybe Diggs was hurt and he was trying to play through it. Maybe. I don't know. I'll I thought I some... saw Diggs most of the day on Sunday. You saw him a lot, but towards I the like end there, McDougal. it was Lalo Hill. I like Diggs. Yeah. And I, I kind of like Shaq Griffin more as a two-corner. Yeah. I don't think of him as like a like a Pro Bowl number one shutdown corner. He's kind of a 1B. Yep. But Trey Flowers yeah. is no good. I'm sorry to say it. He's no good. He's not a good tackler. He comes up with big PI penalties. He gives up big chunk. I mean, he has a couple of moments here and there, but every corner who gets thrown out as much as he gets thrown out is going to have a couple of good moments. He's, he's out of place out there. And with no pass rush and him playing that corner and Shaq Griffin kind of being a 1B kind of a – like I think if they were to ever go out in the draft or something and get like a stud, like a Patrick P- – whatever, a guy who comes out or a free agent who's like, bam, and you make Shaq Griffin your number two corner, Yeah. now you've got something. That's right. Now you've got something. But they're just, they just weren't good enough defensively. The whole year they weren't good enough defensively. I don't I think w- that's what caught up to them. I don't want to get into like what's going to happen next year, who they're going to keep and all that. That'll be, we have plenty of time to do that, it turns yeah. out. But yeah. what, like, I'm just so curious what this team's going to look like because when you look at Ziggy Ansa and Clowney, on paper, we've been saying it all year. Why were they not better on defense? They have some good names wow. on there. Yeah. Jaron Reed's good. Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright can well, still play. First of all, you got to talk. Well, you you want to have the conversation, or you want to wait that? You said you don't want to have the conversation, <laughs> but then you hit me with the question. You start with the defensive coordinator. You got a big decision to make on Ken Norton. For me, not getting it done. Who do you bring in? Well, I, I don't know who you bring in, and I don't know that Pete Carroll would would do this. I think this is his first year as de- defensive coordinator, so my guess is that Pete Carroll will be loyal to his men, as he typically is, at least for more than a year. Um, but for me, we start with a new defensive coordinator. Because of scheme or because of who he brings in or starts or what? Well, for the reason you just said. They have enough talent in Bobby wow. Wagner. Um, Jaron Reed. McDougal. Reed, well, Reed didn't play the first six weeks, but Reed and Clowney. They had enough talent to be better than a bottom five defense. Yeah. And they really weren't good against the run statistically, and they weren't good against the pass. Uh, so I think, I think that the, ultimately the defensive coordinator has got to take the blame. That's first of all. Second of all, you're mentioning guys like Ziggy. Ziggy was a nothing. Yeah. I mean, he's done. He's, he's you put a fork in him. He's finished. He, he, they took a gamble on him. I was glad that they did. They went out and they signed him. He was coming in with a lot of injuries, and it just didn't work out. Okay, you took a shot. Clowney, was, it was superhuman when he was in there, but there were, you know, how many, how many games did Clowney end up playing? Did he play? He must have missed two, three, four, five games, right? Two, three, four games in there. So he's, for as great as he is, we knew this when he was coming in from Houston. He he was prone to being hurt and missing practices and sometimes missing games, but missing a lot of work. And so now he needs off-season surgery. And of course, I don't know whether they have any chance. We'll we'll talk to Joe Corey about that, whether they have any chance to bring him back in. So the answer is, why weren't they better? I don't know. They should have been better. K.J. Wright had an okay year. Bobby Wagner was good. As I said, Shaq Griffin was pretty good. Michael Kendricks played Jaron okay Reed when he was, 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 I think, okay. I don't think he was ever what he was last year after the suspension. Clowney was good. Kendricks was good. Yeah, wh- why? It's a great question, yeah. Why? I guess that does fall on Ken Norton. Defensive coordinator. Yeah. And, and now you've got to go out and, and, you know, reinforce. Reinforcements. You need, you need new guys. They're going to lose some guys off of that defense, but... That's that's for another episode, right? Yeah, we got plenty Except of time. Except for Jadavion Clowney. We're going to deal with that on this episode. I'm curious to hear because I love Jadavion Clowney. I would love to have him. My sense is there's no chance. 
hmm. that he comes back. Just not going to pay that kind of money for what you he get? He is going to want – let's just wait for the segment okay. to run. Let's wait for the segment to run. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what else? What have we missed? Third down defense, no run game, no run blocking, offensive line injured. But did you think um, the offensive Trey line – Trey Flowers, third down defense. What have we missed? Did the offensive line do okay pass protecting in the second half, though, considering who's out there? I felt like he had some decent time, just couldn't find anybody open. So it feels easy to come down on this O-line, but in the second half, I remember thinking, boy, he's got a lot of time. A couple of plays he had a lot of time. There were a lot of, a lot of plays where he was running for his life, getting out, of, getting out of trouble, getting out of harm's yeah. way, rolling out, either deciding to run or then holding it back and, and making a, th- a throw. Um, I, I think in grand total, I got to go back and look at the game. I, I, don't think the pass, I don't think the pass protection was good. Now, to their, you know, to their defense – to the defense of the offensive line, he got to a point where he had no running game and they were behind. So what, what does the defense, what does the front four, front seven know you're going to be doing on yeah. every day? That makes it even doubly more difficult to, to protect. But now, nah, I, I don't think that the pr- protection was very good. Did Russell look old to you when he ran or did he look like Russell of no. old? He didn't, he just looked... Well, no, no, he didn't look like Russell from years one, two, and three. But was there a huge difference? When yeah, there's time. Well, you got to go back and look. I think yeah. when you, if you go back and look to how quick and how sharp he was when he was, and he was thinner. I think he's a little bulkier now. I think he's a little stronger and, and more buff, or just bitch bigger. Yeah. And, and he's older. No, I don't think he runs with that that first few years of Russell Wilson. But I thought his running was spectacular on Sunday. I mean, he he. Yeah, he, he picks the right times to run for the most part. He picks the right times to slide for the most part. He doesn't really – you can tell he doesn't want to run. It's the last, last <laughs> – la- I wouldn't want to either. He almost doesn't run until he crosses the line of scrimmage. You're watching the line of scrimmage, and then when he crosses it, he goes. He's looking to throw it the very last minute. He's looking one way and throwing the – I mean, he was – I, I thought it was magnificent. Yeah. All things considered, I thought it was magnificent. I think it, whatever he's being paid, it's perfect. You're the Seahawks GM. They have a ton of picks in the draft. Like, how many we're talking about the draft? What position jumps out at you in the first round? You sure you want to do this in the episode? Well, just just a quick, you know, just kind of throw out a position. We don't have to get too deep into it. Well, but. I think the problem with that question is I don't know what they're going to sign between now and the draft. I think a lot of it's going to be I see. dependent Free on agent you know, wise. Yeah, who's who's going, who's yeah. staying, who are they cutting? I mean, you got to you got to know that. I think, and then of course you're in the draft and. You're taking the best guy available. They always say that, yeah. right? Um, but you need you need um, offensive linemen, and you need a corner. Yeah. I think corner is what I was going to say. You th- you you need a corner. Um, um, it's got to be a stud corner out there. Oh yeah, <laughs> but the Seahawks I don't know that he'll be available <laughs> when they pick. But there's going to be a couple of stud corners out there. Okay, well, yeah. Trey Flowers probably was in college too, though. So. It's a total crapshoot in the draft. So, Russell Wilson, check him off the list. Malik Turner's drop. They had the ball with a chance to win at 454. Dwayne Brown is a stud. I got that out. Jadavian Clowney is a game changer. I'll pray that he comes back. I don't think he will, but you'll hear that this, uh, this coming uh, a segment coming up. Uh, Tyler Lockett, nine catches, 136 yeah. yards. Great game on Sunday and a loss. Third down defense, 9 of 14, and many of them were third and nines and third and tens. That's where the game was. Aikman kept on saying, and I couldn't agree with him more, Trey Flowers, not good enough. The run game, not good enough. Really, the run game's non-existent. They got nothing for two weeks, Yep, three weeks. 
I don't know. I, did they get anything in the 49ers game? I don't think they got anything nah. in the 49ers game. They got nothing in the Eagles game, and they got nothing in the Packers game. And, hey, what do you expect? You've got a backup offensive line and a guy running the ball that was serving tequila shots right. four weeks and ago. And a seventh-round rookie. And a seventh-round rookie, who, by the way, <laughs> sticks his nose in there pretty good. He does. He sticks his nose in there for a light guy, you know, shows, shows me something. He, he looks like he's got the desire, like you want that kind of a personality on your team. I think there's a place for him. But I'll go back to what I told you or what I've been saying for years and years, at least the last couple of years and all the episodes, you kind of laughed at me. Chris Carson is a stud. I'm just telling you. No, I agree with you. I don't, Chris yeah, Carson, with all the fumbles and everything else, when they lost Chris Carson, they lost a huge dimension in their offense. And great for Rashad Penny that he popped a little bit. And all the Chris Carson is is a difference maker when you have that hammer. When he's when he stopped, when it looks like it's a two yard gain, he gains four or five. When it looks like it's a five yard gain, he gains eight or nine. He's just. Uh, they got to get him back, get him back healthy, and get him running the ball, getting at that offensive line healthy. Well, he didn't have off season. He's not going to have off season surgery, so that's good that's news. Good. He yeah. can just heal on his own, and yeah. hopefully, they get him back. Hey, he's yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. Do you think it was officiated well? I know. No, I, it was I, a terrible officiated game. A lot of misses. What about the Hollister fumble in the first quarter? Was that a bad call? It went the Seahawks' way, They're right? Lucky. Yeah. They were good and lucky. Yeah. They were good and lucky on that call, but there were some other there was some other stuff that they missed. There was some other stuff. And I hate the fact that Jimmy Graham was oh. a difference maker for the Packers because I don't, I don't like him at all. Personally, I don't like him Personally, at all. Personally, I don't like him. I don't like him when he was here. I don't like, like the way he carried himself. I don't like the whole, I'm not talking to the media. Hmm. I'm above all that. I don't do that. Uh, you know, the plane, the fly. There, there was just, there's something about him that just rubbed me the wrong way when he was here. So I hate seeing that he was the, he was the guy for them. What did he have, two catches or something all day? Yeah, but and, he had a couple of biggies. And at the end of the game, he's on the bench cheering, yeah. and he's the hero of the game. Driving me crazy. Torture. Ugh. All right, four interviews. Four interviews, Good. and then you and I come back, and we do the other stuff segment. Lots and of And I do want to, on the other stuff segment, devote a little time to the Mark Kalinske interview from last episode 73. You okay? got some good feedback I'm going to share with us. I got feedback that is important to read. Great. Okay. Hot shot, I just heard that one of your buddies took the time to make the call to Jordan Flowers' team in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. More and more Northwest people are doing so. Stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are now in your current mortgage. No starting the 30-year period over. A refinance gets you out of your mortgage insurance, which is very costly. And also, you can pull some money out to do those home improvements or remodels that you've been looking at. There's only one thing that you shouldn't be doing, and that's just sitting there unwilling to at the very least make a 10-minute phone call to find out your options. There are three of the nation's top 1% brokers in that Kirkland office alone. Call Jordan Flowers' team, 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side is you pay less each month with a refi of your home that doesn't start you all over. Again, 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland office team of Guild Mortgage waiting for your phone call, so call today. Unfiltered. Pass wide open, Adams 
makes the catch, makes a move, sprinting for the end zone. Second and goal, Lynch is in for the touchdown. Pass to Adams, what a throw and catch! What a play, what a time for it. Rodgers throws, pass is caught, Jimmy Graham, first down. Uh, this is, I think, is the start of this team. I think this is, uh, it feels like, like 2012 all over again. And, uh, I mean, there was not a guy on that sidelines in, in, that we were connected to that thought we weren't going to win that football game. And all the way till we didn't. And uh, that is what this thing has felt like the whole time, the whole year. And it's an amazing uh, chemistry. Uh, and, and, and it's an amazing group and the leadership, and Bobby and KJ and, and Russ and, and Dwayne Brown, who did an unbelievable thing today to play in this football game. I don't know how he did it. And operated on three weeks ago. It's just the kind of stuff that these guys are made of. And so I'm really proud to be part of it. And uh, we're s- still terribly disappointed because we should still be playing. Well, I guess all good things have to come to an end. Fireside Home Solutions presents our chat with Brady Henderson the Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. And Brady, 28-23, to 23, it was a thriller at the end. I suppose none of us should have been surprised that the Seahawks got back in it. But uh, it really, it did not look good at halftime. It really looked like one of those 42-10 to 10 games at halftime. But when you've got number three on your team, I guess there's always a chance, right? Always, yeah. And, and you know, I was sort of going back and forth between you know, look, that, that's a huge halftime deficit for them, and it really reminded me of what happened in that Rams game uh, back in December when, you know, they fell behind, um, and it looked like, you know, at least in that game, you know, they were they were toast at halftime there. That, that You know, they, were one, they became one-dimensional uh, with their pass protection limitations uh, against a very good pass rush in the Rams, and there was really no chance of them coming back in that game. And I kind of, you know, I was going back and forth thinking, well, very similar situation in this game, um, you know, against a very good pass rush, and they could not run the ball in the first half. But then there's that part of me thinking they've got Russell Wilson, and they're never really out of that game. And, um, you know, to their credit, they really came out, um, it, you know, at the start of the third quarter and really doing what I thought they couldn't do, which was, um, you know, they ran the ball a little bit, um, you know, got some big gains on play action, and all of a sudden they score on three straight. Uh, you know, they open that second half with touchdown drives on their first three possessions, and so um, they came back like you know they they tend to with Russell Wilson. And um, you know, I thought it was look the, the season was defined by narrow victories, right? Ten of them uh, in the regular season, one more um, you know last week in the wild card round, and then when it was over, it was you know by the smallest of margins that Jimmy Graham got that first down. And despite the stops in the third quarter by the defense isn't the story of the game and maybe even the story of the year that this Seahawks defense, no matter the names on the defense, no matter the names on the jerseys, they just couldn't get it done. Third down defense was just horrible. And of course, they couldn't get off the field. They had two third down opportunities, third and long opportunities down the stretch, and they couldn't stop the Packers. Is that the story of the game? I think so, yeah, just because yeah, we talked about the way the offense stormed back. And, um, you know, I think they ended up with more yards than the Packers, 375 to 344. I mean, for whatever that worth, obviously the offense was, was terrible in the first half. And that's you know, a big part of the reason why they were in that hole. But, yeah, I mean, Green Bay going 9 for 14 um, on third down, and including that third and nine to, to Jimmy Graham that I mentioned at the end there. And, you know, it did seem like 
some of the issues that plagued the Seahawks all year long really came back to bite them here. Um, the lack of a pass rush, you know, they got two sacks. One of those was, uh, you know, was a play where Rodgers sort of scrambled out and slid just shy of the of the line yeah. of scrimmage. So yeah. it very easily could have not been a sack. And then, um, you know, they, they got their, their one actual sack on the Shaquem Griffin play, which uh, was a cool moment for him and his brother, but just not enough of that. And that was really the, the story of their season. Not enough pass rush outside of Jadeveon Clowney. Yeah. Um, and it came back to bite them. Yeah. And, and I will add to that, yeah. the cornerback play was, yeah. was pretty suspect as well. Corner, cornerback, right, with an N. Not- cornerback, yes. <laughs> well, let's yeah. let's go back to the sack, the Griffin sack, because at that precise moment, it felt to a lot of us Seahawks fans that the Seahawks were going to win the football game because on that sack, the Seahawks defense gets off the field, and now we hand the ball to Russell Wilson with about four minutes and 55 seconds left. The offense is on a roll and they're going to go down and score the lead the go at in my mind the only question was were they going to leave too much time on the clock that's when the Malik Turner drop happens Brady yeah yeah i think after that uh, after they got the ball back there was still 5 minutes left right uh, and obviously only down by yeah by by five. you know yeah. 5 points and yeah. we've seen Russell Wilson i i you know that 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 once once he you know, as soon as this start to turn, I, I pulled up the uh, the Seahawks media guide to see how many fourth quarter or overtime comebacks he's pulled off. Uh, and the number was 32, including postseason, and that's the most in the NFL since he entered the league. So it was just going to be a question of, I think, whether or not he was going to get one more chance. And with the way that they had been moving the ball, um, obviously, you know, that, that they went three and out on that, um, what ended up being their last drive uh, with that pretty killer drop uh, by Malik Turner. And you do have to wonder, not only – what would have happened had, had Wilson got another chance? But you got to wonder what happens if Malik Turner comes up with that. I ball. think they go ahead. They would have had a first. Yeah, yeah, they had a first. They would have had a first down, I believe, near midfield. Uh, again, with still plenty of time left. Instead, that's an incompletion. They pick up, I think, five yards on second down, uh, and then they take a, a pretty bad sack on third down. And um, you know, there was some question as to whether or not you go for it there on fourth and eleven. I think from your own thirty-seven yard line. That's correct. Certainly, that's that's a lot to ask. And Russell Wilson, you know, he we asked him about it post game, and he said, um, you know, that he thought it was the right decision. And, and had they not gotten, had they not taken that six-yard loss uh, on third down, then maybe they would have gone for it. But you know, fourth and eleven, that that's a lot to ask, even of Russell Wilson. It's also a lot to ask, you know, to stop Aaron Rodgers when. Uh, they really had not done a whole lot of that that game. But as you say, it's fourth and 11. You've got three timeouts left, right? You still got the two-minute warning left. You figure Green Bay is going to go either run, run, pass, or run, pass, run. They're not going to throw it a lot. Uh, I think, and as, and as you know, you're right. And the Seahawks defense, the truth is the Seahawks defense had just come up with that big sack that you were talking about. So the defense had a little bit of momentum there. I believe the right call. Look, no one likes to second guess like I do. I mean, I'm one of the all-time second guessers. <laughs> and and I, I kind of giggled to myself when you said that Russell Wilson said it was the right decision. Did you expect Russell Wilson to say that was the wrong decision? We should have gone for it. The coaching staff messed up. I, I don't think we're going to hear Russell Wilson ever disagree with the sure. coaching staff. But in this case... I think the right play. You, it looks like it sounds like you agree with me. I think the right call was made on fourth and eleven. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, it, it, I, I kind of go back and forth on it because um, you know, you you also if you hold them to a field goal there, it's still a one possession game, right? Because you're up by five, uh, so then it becomes a, yeah, an eight point game. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it it just goes back to 
what, what do you what do you think is your best chance of winning that game? Is it your defense uh, getting a stop on maybe you know one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Your your defense that you have to believe is suspect at best after giving up you know 28 points the way it did, um, or do you want to put the ball in the hands of of your quarterback, your 35 million dollar yeah. your quarterback? I and again, it, it goes back to that that drop on first down and that sack on third down. If that was if that was third and seven, third and eight. Maybe that's a different decision, but I, you know, again, I, I'm I'm sort of going back and forth here. But I really, it's hard to fault the team for not going forward on fourth uh, and eleven, just because fourth and eleven. I mean, that's pretty hard to convert. Yeah, from your own thirty-six, as you point out. The voice of Brady Henderson, uh, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Remember, it's a great. I mean, my goodness, this week's the best week of all to have a nice, energy efficient fireplace. Start with Fireside Home Solutions. John and his staff, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. So the season's over, and I think we'll do one more kind of uh, post mortem, if you don't mind, next week. We'll get we'll get to that next week on episode what it will be seventy seventy five. How about some other thoughts? about this game this season, I, I don't think that enough is being made of Dwayne Brown playing in this game. He was 20 days removed from knee surgery, didn't practice all week, and number 76 is out there just about every snap the entire game. I, I mean, I don't know a lot. I, I, I bet you there most, the vast majority of offensive linemen in the NFL would not have played on Sunday the way Brown played. Yeah, well, certainly the vast majority of 34-year-old offensive linemen, and that's another thing that you've got to take into account here is, is you know, it's one thing for DK Metcalf, uh, you know, a 22-year-old wide receiver who's in the best shape he'll ever be in. Um, that was, you know, remarkable enough the way that he came back uh, from from knee surgery, and, and I don't know if they were the same procedures or whatever, but it was still, you know, what was described in each case as, as a minor knee surgery. Um, the way that he came back, you know, you're, this is a whole different situation here just because you're talking about a guy who was, uh, you know, 11, 12 years older and plays offensive line and has a lot of weight on those knees. Um, and to come back from any surgery in 20 days, it, it's kind of just mind-blowing when you think about it. And um, I can imagine that he was in a great deal of pain. It sounded like he, he talked to the team the night before um, and told them that he was going to play. And, um, you know, I, I didn't watch him closely enough to know exactly how he fared. I can't imagine that, um, you know, he was as good as he would be at 100%. But, again, just the fact that he played, uh, pretty remarkable what some of these guys are willing to put themselves through. Brady, Tyler Lockett, nine catches, 136 yards. He's been semi-quiet the last six or seven weeks. Yeah, really really kind of, a, 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 a you know, an odd season for him. You know, he ends up with, I think, over 1,000 yards, but really some stretches there where um, – and, and we all know what happened, right? He had the knee injury – or the leg injury, excuse me, in the San Francisco game and really was not the same for a few weeks. Also, you know, had a, an, an illness that he was battling there, that, that illness that was going around the Seahawks locker room. So, um, you know, he was really the, – the, the Wilson to Tyler Lockett connection for a, much of that game uh, was really their only offense. And, um, you know, it, it's it, it, it's kind of a mystery as to how D.K. Metcalf can go off last week against the Eagles um, and have kind of the quiet game that he did in this one. Uh, although I think it goes back to, you know, we, we, we'll talk about the issues the Seahawks had at cornerback. Um, I think it may have something to do with it there, that the Packers are a lot better than, than the Philadelphia Eagles were at cornerback and also had a lot more opportunities for big plays last week. Um, you know, with a lot of the, the coverage that the Eagles gave them. So um, whatever whatever the case was with Metcalf, 
the locket connection was working again like we've seen it a lot or like we did see it a lot this season. Two more free tacos from Taco Time thanks to Marshawn Lynch's two touchdown runs. But let's face it, ever since the losses of Penny and, of course, Chris Carson and the offensive line was in shambles, they just were playing with one arm. Offensively, they were playing with one arm strapped behind their back. They really had no run game. And to score 23 and, and I don't know, threaten to score more, it's, it's kind of a, a, just another feather in number three's cap because, uh, you know, Marshawn Lee, I, I just didn't see much of a run game the last several weeks. No, and, and it seemed like they went into this game uh, really wanting to run the ball. And obviously people are going to hear that and say, well, duh, they always do. I, 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 I kind of got the feeling that it was even more of a priority in this game just with, um, you know, the issues they figured they were going to have in pass protection against a very good pass rush group with the, the, the Preston Smith, Zedaria Smith. Uh, John Schneider on the pregame radio show called Zedaria Smith maybe the most underrated defender in the NFL. Um, so, you know, you can slow down a pass rush by running the ball. And it seemed like maybe that's why um, you saw them make the switch to Marshawn Lynch. There was all the talk uh, leading up to this game about how they wanted to get Lynch more involved. Um, and I wonder if part of that was not only the fact that they realized he was, you know, in better shape. He had had a couple games under his belt. You know, I, I think they really wanted that, that physical pounding presence in there, um, knowing that they needed it probably more than, than they usually did or than they usually would. Uh, what about Con- Quandre Diggs? You've gone out of your way to show how good and how different the Seahawks defense was, was it, w- with him in the game after they acquired him m- midseason. Was he in the game at the end? Because we did see Hill in there on the uh, on the Jimmy Graham catch. Was Diggs in the game down the stretch? You know what? I, I would have to go back and look at it because I'm not sure. I, I know that they, I know that Lano Hill was there. I did see Lano Hill in coverage on that Jimmy Graham play. Okay. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I can't answer that though. I'm sorry. Trey Flowers, not good. Not a good game for Trey Flowers. <laughs> yeah, it was a long night for him, and 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 you know, Devontae Adams had I think what was it, uh, eight catches for 160 yards, two touchdowns. Certainly not all of those um, on Trey Flowers. You know, he got Ugo Amadi on a few of them, including uh, that big gain on the Packers' last drive. And um, you know, I, I hate to be the guy, Mitch, that says I told you so, but. I, I made the point, I think, a few times going into this game that you know that was going to be a brutal matchup for the Seahawks um, if anybody other than Shaquille Griffin was covering Adams, and that turned out to be the case. And you know, to, I'll say this to, to Trey Flowers' credit, he owned up to it post game. Uh, didn't want to talk to reporters at first, but then you know said that he would and uh, was hard on himself. Just said basically, um, you know, I've got to be better. And uh, you know, I, I think there's a bigger question to ask about Trey Flowers' future at that right cornerback and. Um, you know, you can look at it and say, look, this is a guy who was only in his second season uh, as a cornerback, as a converted safety uh, in college. And he, there were stretches this season where he looks like a legit guy with some nice upside there with his length and his ability to kind of swallow receivers. There's also times where he just looked overmatched. And you saw him with the two penalties in the wild card round. And, again, you saw him just a, a very long day in coverage, long night in coverage against Devontae Adams. And I think, you know, the one play that stands out to me is that second Adams touchdown where Adams got him in space and he just looked like he was on skates. And right. I think that's, you know, that's the concern I have about him long term is he's a bigger guy, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds. He's not a 4'3 guy like Shaquille Griffin. And, when and, you know, he's just going to have trouble, I think, athletically against some of the NFL's best receivers. Um, and that's what you saw against Devontae Adams. And, again, I think he's been a nice story and an overall a solid cornerback. 
but but the the conversation can't be you know the baseline can't be oh well he's played well you know for a, a converted safety he's got to be judged against any other cornerback that the Seahawks could play there it sort of reminds me of the conversation with J.R. Sweezy when he was a young player you know converted defensive lineman it was you know oh well you know not bad for a guy who played defensive tackle in college that can't be the the, the basis point you've got to um, you got to base him on whatever else the Seahawks could do and, and I do wonder if they're going to look to maybe uh, upgrade that position this offseason or at least have him compete with somebody uh, get, you know going into next year. So we'll we'll finish up this episode, this chat, with just an overall opinion of the Seahawks season. We'll save, you know, personnel decisions, what changes are coming, what coaching changes are coming, who's a free. We'll talk about all that stuff in the future. Let's just get a Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Uh, I'll tell you what I said in the earlier segment, and you can either echo it or just kind of give us a thought of your own. It was an overachieving team. When you look at what they had to offer, especially defensively, the fact that they were playing in the second weekend of the in the, the NFL playoffs is almost a miracle. And it's almost in microcosm what I said. The, the game on Sunday was the microcosm of the season. They had no business being really in the second weekend of the NFL playoffs. And they had no business being... Uh, in a position to win that game late in the game, but both reasons were the same. They had number three, and if they had a an eighth, a seventh, or an eighth, a ninth best quarterback in the league this season, they probably would have been seven and nine and been sitting home for the playoffs. And if they had a, a seventh or eighth or ninth best quarterback in the league in the Green Bay game, they probably would have lost 34 to 10 or something like that. So kind of the same for both. That, that's my opinion of the season. What's your overall sense of the 2019 Seahawks? I, I, I think you're right. I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, there's always a couple ways to look at these things. You can look at it in the sort of here and the now and say, you know, it's, it's, it's insane how much of a, you know, how much they lack their pass rush and, um, you know, how bad the quarterback play was at times. And then you can take a step back and say, okay, what were we predicting about the Seahawks going into this season? We had conversations going back to who knows when about, you know, where is the pass rush going to come from? And so I think if, if you just look at what they had going into the season and what they did with that, you know, 11 wins, not bad. You know, winning seven road games plus another road game in the playoffs, uh, and you're right there. It comes down to the end in another road game at Lambeau Field where you haven't won in, in, since 1999. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as, as disappointing as a lot of aspects of that season will be for a lot of people um, in that building and outside of that building, I think 11 wins, you know, I, I think that they were, you know, let's, let's be honest, I think they were punching above their weight for, you know, a lot of this season and um, 11 wins, that's not bad. Do you agree with Pete Carroll's assessment after the game that you were there to listen to when he said this reminds him of the Atlanta Falcons playoff game? This is kind of the beginning for this group. Or do you do you think that's a stretch? Well, I I think it's different just because the core of that team that you know that was when that team was very much coming up and Russell Wilson uh, was a rookie. Bobby Wagner was a rookie. You know, look, Russell Wilson says he's going to play till he's forty five, but the the fact is these are his be- these are his best years. You know, Bobby Wagner is getting close to thirty years old. KJ Wright is over thirty years old. So um, it's a different core. Certainly, and I, I don't think you can say that the current core of young players is as promising as the 
core of young players they had in 2012 when it was Wilson, it was Wagner, Wright, Sherman, Earl Thomas, all those guys. So to me, it doesn't quite feel the same just because I don't know if they have, I just don't see the future as, as quite as bright as maybe it seemed like in 2012 when remember, they went into the 2013 season as legitimate Super Bowl contenders after some offseason moves. So, you know, maybe ask me that in uh, in, in April or, you know, in May yeah. once they've gone through free agency and they've gone through the draft uh, and we have a better sense of what their team looks like. It, it just doesn't quite feel the same to me. Brady, let's visit one more time on Episode 75 next week, and I'll ask you some hard questions, some hard opinion questions on – which way they should turn from a personnel perspective, but let's let it sit for now. 28-23, Green Bay advances to the NFC Championship game, and the Seahawks are going to have to watch the Niners and Packers on TV, or or give it the cold shoulder treatment, give it the give it the silent <laughs> treatment. Uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, brought to you all year by Fireside Home Solutions and John's team at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Thank you, Brady. Travel home safe. Thanks very much. All right, you got it, Mitch. Thank you. Our buddy Seahawks insider ESPN, ESPN.com, Brady Henderson, as he's been with us all season long. Unfortunately, the year ends at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, where Russell Wilson still has not won a game, by the way, even though he was magnificent on Sunday night and the 2019-2020 season is over. Hey, Happy New Year from Evergreen Golf Call and all of their tremendous employees from the flagship downtown Bellevue headquarters down the West Coast to the Portland, San Francisco, and Napa Valley offices to a premier wealth manager in the Northwest and beyond. For decades, Evergreen has been responsibly growing people's money from all over the world. Tyler Hayes' brother, Adam, spearheaded the Evervestment program for those of us that wouldn't be classified as high-wealth individuals. Evergreen Golf Call deeply cares about its Northwest roots, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club or this podcast, Mitch Unfiltered, a charitable pillar in the community and a major reason why we continue to produce new episodes of Mitch Unfiltered every single week. The title sponsor of our March Madness Pool and our major championship challenge, four all-expense trips doled out in 2019 by Evergreen, including that bucket list golfing trip to Pebble Beach. So, Check them out, evervestment.com, E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com, and see what Evergreen can do for you. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, the Seahawks season has come to a close in Green Bay after 12 wins in a bit of a roller coaster, it is obviously never too soon to take a look at the biggest offseason storyline, which promises to be the J.C. story. Jadeveon Clowney acquired by John Schneider right before the opener. Part of that deal to get Clowney to sign the franchise tender was the written assurance that the Seahawks won't tag him before next year. So now what? Our friend Joel Corey, former agent, CBS salary and salary cap writer, and absolutely the very best follow when it comes to free agent markets and going rates on NFL stars. Joel Corey is with us. Happy New Year, Joel. Happy New Year. First of all, let's analyze from your standpoint the impact of Clowney. I would say even through injury and missed games, he was a godsend to a team that had oodles of trouble stopping people. Jaron Reed was suspended. Ziggy never really materialized. What do you think of his season? 
Um, everyone's going to point to the lack of sacks, but I don't get hung up on sacks because sacks aren't the true indicator of how disruptive you are. It's really how much pressure you can put on a quarterback. And you saw in that Monday night game, he was everywhere. Yeah, You can have a ton of quarterback pressures, meaning combined sacks, hits, and hurries, and have a better game if you have one sack and a bunch of pressures than if you have a multiple sack game. Right. That one game on its own, based on some things he's done in the past, will get him paid. The fact that he could have shut it down because he is injured and he decided he was going to play through everything, that's something that people will take note of as well. So he's probably going to be the marquee edge rusher available since you can't tag him. Um, Shaq Barrett is probably going to get some sort of designation, either franchise or transition, because you can use both in 2020 since it's the last year of the CBA. Uh, that's different than every other year. Now, if there's a new CBA, it gets done before the uh, franchise tag period ends in early March, which is highly improbable, then it would go back to the old rules. So he's going to be off the market. So if you're looking for an edge rudder, rusher, it's going to be Jadavion Clowney as the top guy available. And he didn't get that tag. He didn't get that provision to prohibit any type of designation uh, to not see what he could get from every other team. Right. So right. I don't think you're going to get a deal done before he can go out and right. negotiate for other teams in the 48-hour period before free agents. Unless you blow him away, right? Unless you pl- you pay him, uh, you know, historic numbers that make him say, "All right, I'll take that now," since it's the numbers that I'm looking at here. Yeah, you're going to have to meet whatever his demands are, which I assume will be more than Frank Clark because I would imagine last offseason he's thinking I'm the equal of the guys who were tagged and got paid, meaning DeMarcus Lawrence, Frank Clark. So he's going to want to be in that $20 million per year uh, pass rusher club. Seattle didn't want to go there with Frank Clark, so it'll be interesting to see if they'll want to go there with Jadavion Clowney, their hope might be that everything gets held against him, that he's never been a double-digit sack guy, and the market doesn't develop the way he wants to, and they'll be able to keep him for a break. But I wouldn't put that to chance, given the edge rushers that will be available. Um, And Barrett's uh, right now a one-year wonder. Great year. Right. Uh, Right. Led the NFL in sacks. Right. But that guy didn't show up any other years. There was one year he got to start. In Denver, opposite Von Miller, and wasn't very productive. Joel, you keep calling him an edge rusher, and he is. Uh, how do we factor into the equation that he's also probably the best? I don't know. Maybe you'll tell me I'm I'm all crazy. Maybe he's the best run stopping edge rusher. Let's call him the best run stopping against the run edge rusher in the game. Uh, that I, most of these guys that you're talking about, I guess you'd say that are great, great. Getting well, Khalil pressure. Mack play, yeah, yeah. plays the run okay. very well because right. when he came in the league, he was more of a run stopper than pass rusher. Right. Then became a very good pass rusher, even though this year was a down year for him. Right. I mean, how does that factor into the equation? I mean, he's just not only a guy who can get pressure on the quarterback. He's he's a he's an all down monster, right? He's he's. He's one of the better all-around defenders, balanced defenders. You just use Khalil Mack. I, I can't think of a, a, a better name 
or a higher a higher quality name to compare him to if you were his agent. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. A, that's the highest paid that's the highest paid uh, non quarterback in right. the NFL. Right. Yeah. If I'm if I'm Bus Cook, I'm using that, and I'm I'm also going to accentuate his run stopping abilities. But at the same time, I'm gonna I used to tell represent John Randall and John Randall second ballot. Hall of Famer, yep. did end his career with the Seahawks. This is what John used to say about the run. John used to say, if I run it to the running back on my way to the quarterback and he has a football, <laughs> then I've stopped the run. So you get paid you get the, you get paid to put pressure on quarterbacks. The run stuff the run the playing the run is a bonus actually. All right. So- they don't want you to be like they don't want you to be totally deficient against the run, right, but right. um it's an added bonus. Right. Joel Corey is our guest, CBS Sports, former agent. So let's role play a little bit. Let's have some fun. I'll be John Schneider and you be Bus Cook, okay? I'm going to call you. Okay. I'm going to call you. Hey, uh, hey, Bus. Hey, it's John Schneider here. I, I really, I know your client. I know, I know JC really wants to go to free agency. I know he really wants to see, I know he really wants to see what's out there and watch the line form around the block for him. But I don't, what, what can we do? Give me, give me, give me years, numbers, guarantee. Give me, give me the number. Write it down or tell me what can I do to avoid all that and sign him right now. Well, if you want to make him the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL, we've got a deal done today. Okay. If not, then we're going to explore our options. Obviously, uh, he enjoyed his time in Seattle, but at the same time, he had to play out his rookie contract and a franchise tag year, so. Want to see what's out there after that? But if you're willing, yes, to make the highest paid non quarterback, give me my numbers. What do I need? Well, years, years. Tell me years, numbers, well, guarantees. Go ahead. Khalil Mack, he's at um, twenty three and a half million a year. That's a two year old deal. The cap was one hundred and seventy seven million then. It's going to be two hundred then. Now this upcoming year, right around then, um, he's got ninety million in guarantees, um, and also uh, he's got sixty million fully guaranteed at signing. Um, we don't necessarily have to go the six years that he went and Aaron Donald went. It could be five, but it's got to be something along those lines. Otherwise, we can keep the lines of communication open. I'm not saying we'll give you an, uh, an informal right to match, but um, that'll get it done. If you want, if you want him to be uh, Seahawk for the foreseeable future, then five years. How that's many? what it's going to take. Okay, let's do five years, Bus. Five years. How much? Twenty-three and a half million is the top of the market. Okay. Ninety million in guarantees is okay. the top of the market. Right. Sixty million fully guaranteed is the top of the market. So, right. you're so going to have to be there. All right, five years, one hundred fifteen million, ninety million guaranteed. Uh, sixty year, sixty uh, at the time of signing. Is that right? Sixty at the time of signing. Sixty fully guaranteed at signing. That's Actually, nice. sixty point five. Okay. Sixty point five. Wow. If you want, here's what I here's what we really want. Khalil Mack is a twenty-three and a half on a two-year-old deal. Let's make that twenty-four million per year. Okay, that's still less than what his is adjusted for cap inflation. Let's go ninety-five in overall guarantees and sixty point five fully guaranteed at signing. You've got a deal. Okay, now, now Joe Corey, take your bus cook cap off. All right, and now I'm going to flip it around. And make you John Schneider. And I don't know, and this may be unfair because you may not have the salary cap information for the Seahawks next year in front of you. So if that's the case, I apologize. But now I want you to put John Schneider's cap on. Now you know what it's going to take to get him signed based on whatever knowledge you have of their situation, their economic situation next year. Does it make sense 
for the Seahawks to do this, or does it become really counterproductive to everything else they're going to be trying to do? Wow, that's uh, those are some uh, astronomical numbers. I'm that's not really what we were envisioning. Um, we've got other guys we have to sign, like Jaron Reed to compliment on the inside. We really don't want to have to use a franchise tag on him. We've got about $55 million in cap room, so we've got the room. But we've also, we also have the highest-paid um, quarterback in the league, so it's really going to be hard for us to have the highest-paid non-quarterback and the highest-paid player in the league and us to be a team which is going to be back where we were this year and building upon that being a championship contender on a go-forward basis. Um, Really, we'd like – Bobby Wagner is a future Hall of Famer. He is the rock of our defense. He's the highest-paid defensive player on this team. We want to try to be sensitive to that. Um, I understand he's an inside linebacker, but that's really – he's the Trey Flowers neighborhood, and that's really where we think uh, this should be because just like Trey – the sack numbers just aren't there. You want to be paid like Khalil Mack, but Khalil Mack's been defensive player of the year. Right. You want to be paid like Aaron Donald? Right. He's been two-time defensive player of the year. We're not quite there. Right. Um, right. What, what is your drop-dead number? I know that's what you want. What is your bottom line? Right. Got it. It sounds to me like, Joel, they're not doing both Reed and Clowney. It's going to be one or the other, right? Yeah, mo- yeah most likely. Most yeah. likely. Okay. Uh, maybe you maybe franchise read to trade him because right. um, he's probably going to be looking at uh, Grady Jarrett type money, um, which is seventeen that? million a year. Wow, yeah. um, that made that made that would have made more sense last year because he had the breakout year. Then this year, the suspension kind of derailed things for him. I, mean, I don't think he ever really got on track the way everyone expected him to. Um, so you really want to pay him more like Sheldon Richardson, which is like twelve, thirteen million a year, but he's not going to accept that. He'd probably rather do a one, do a one-year prove it deal than take that deal, right. the Sheldon Richardson type deal. Right, Joel. Uh, this is fantastic. You've been great, and and uh, anybody who who's listening to this is kind of getting the sense that there's just nobody better at this stuff than Joel. Help us out. Help Seahawk fans out with dates. Because I always get these confused in terms of the timeline. When do the Seahawks have to do it before other teams get involved? Can the Seahawks then sign him? I guess when he gets involved with everybody and he becomes an unrestricted free agent, the Seahawks are still in the game, right? Everybody talks to him at that point. Yeah, they're still in the game. March March 16th is when the 48-hour window starts for you to negotiate for other teams. So typically, if the team wants to avoid that, their best foot will come or best offer will come March 15th just to avoid that. But from the player's standpoint, it's okay. Between the time the season ends, your last game, whenever that is for a playoff team, mm-hmm. the, uh, between that time and when the 48-hour negotiating window opens, there's no risk. So if you've gone through the whole season, then why are you going to take a deal before you can actually explore your other options unless it's exactly what you want? And then March 18th, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Pacific time, that's when unrestricted free agency officially opens. But if it's like last year, unrestricted free agency will basically be done the first wave by then because all the deals will be right. agreed to in principle okay. all right. in that 48-hour window. So you're saying that if the Seahawks can get it done before anybody else is in the game, 
It'll likely that's happen. Their best, that's their best chance of keeping them. That's Mar- their best chance of keeping them. But that would happen probably between March 15th and March 18th. In those, like, 48 hours. That's when that would happen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's that's when it would happen. Okay. Because right. you never know what happens in free agency. For all we know, the market may not develop the way he wants it. And Seattle's in an advantageous position. Yeah. Because I've seen that happen before, like with Dante Hightower in New England. He thought he was going to get money close to Jamie Collins. He didn't get it and has to go back his uh, tail between his legs to New England for a lot less. Yeah. So free agency doesn't necessarily work out for everybody, but the first wave of free agency, it is a seller's market, and then after that closes, it becomes a buyer's market. Correct. So you're paying retail at the beginning of free agency, and once we get to the second wave of free agency, teams start paying wholesale. Joel Corey on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Before you go, Joel – Give me a quick thought. I know you wrote a fascinating piece on Brady and Breeze. You can read it at CBSSports.com. Joel, give me a thought on Brady, Breeze, and Dak, and then you can run on us. Uh, Breeze goes back to the Saints because he didn't explore or exploit his leverage last time, so he'll resign there. Um, Dak, once they stick the franchise tag on him, he has no real – he doesn't really have uh, any desire. He shouldn't to get a deal done until he sees what happens with Patrick Mahomes because he's not going to get Patrick Mahomes' money, but that will raise the bar for him. And if that's the case, he's going to make more than Russell Wilson. Brady, I have no idea with that one because he is in uncharted territory. Nobody's ever been a starting quarterback as old as he is. He start, Father Tom's starting to catch up with him. If he's on the open market, who knows? Um, maybe it's the Chargers because Philip Father Time has caught Philip Rivers more than it has Brady. Indy, maybe Tennessee because there's lots of New England connections. Maybe it appears Josh McDaniel is going to be the uh, head coach for the Browns. If not, then maybe that cuts in the favor to go back to New England. But if Kraft is really wants him to be a Patriot for life, he's going to have to probably pay him more than he would want to. Is the decision when he leaves to go to another team a financially motivated decision? It would strike me that if there ever was going to be a situation that was not going to be financially motivated on the open market, this would be it. He would just go where he thought, okay, this is my best chance to go out on top and win a win some sort of a title, get to the playoffs, right? Yeah, I think the motivation is going to be more to prove that he can do something without Belichick. I think both of them have that motivation. Because he's never been financially driven, at least since 2010, when that deal made him the highest paid player in the league. He's undercut the market every time since. So I don't think it's going to be every last dollar, one last cash grab. That's not his M.O. He He's a championship-type winner. That's what drives him more than anything else. So I think it's going to be the weapons. That's why the Chargers look uh, attractive, because they have Keenan Allen. They have uh, Mike Williams. Austin Eckler, I'm assuming uh, Melvin Gordon is gone. Um, But then the other issue is, does he really want to try to learn a new system at his age? Because he's been in the same system practically his whole career. When Peyton Manning went to Denver, everything changed. It became, we're bringing Peyton Manning's system here. So that could factor into it as well. Is a team going to let me run the offense that I've been used to running? You can teach an old dog new tricks, but maybe optimal Brady is in his comfort yeah. zone with the offense he's known forever like the back of his hand. You're the best, Joel. Love you. Thank you very much for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it very much.
Sure, anytime. Thanks for having me. A little role-playing on Episode 74. Joel Corey, CBS Sports. He's a salary cap expert, a former agent, and our discussion about Jadavion Clowney. Has he played his final game for the Seattle Seahawks? Boy, is it going to be difficult to sign him, but wouldn't we all love to see Jadavion Clowney back for a second year with the Seahawks? We'll keep our fingers crossed. Happy New Year from a True Blue Northwest original Zeke's Pizza, now with 17 locations, the newest of which a magnificent spot in Woodenville. Fireplaces, a great bar area, tons of TVs. My sons and I watched some college football there not too long ago. In fact, I feel like I've spent a good portion of my year at Zeke's watching sports from the Super Bowl in February at the then new Capitol Hill location, the horrible loss to the Cardinals, the Pac-12 tournament viewings at Bothell, NCAA tournament games at the new Tacoma Zeke's Seahawks contest at Zeke's Linwood, the Pac-12 football championship at that Woodenville spot that I just mentioned. It's been a great year. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that Zeke's Pizza is much more than just a sponsor. It's a favorite of my family and myself when we want to watch a sporting event or when we want to do the March Madness pool, which we do every single year at the Bellevue location of Zeke's Pizza. A happy and healthy new year from Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Three to shoot now. Davis, a prayer. Oh, hits it! The Cardinal finishes... You know, I, I, I wanted to, to invite Jason D. Hamilton back on the uh, on the podcast every once in a while so that we can giggle and laugh. And I figured we'd be laughing, Jason D., all the way through the Huskies basketball season. But this, this has not turned into a laughing matter. I feel horrible with what's going on over there. Two more losses in the Bay Area. How do you put into words how the whole environment has changed around that team since uh, the news about Quade Green? Yeah, it's it's certainly a night and day situation, isn't it? I mean, now losers of four or five, uh, and obviously the, the, back, the back-to-back losses this weekend um, with uh, with Stanford and Cal and, and those two games, obviously, without Quade Green. It's, you know, I, I, I had been telling you um, early on that it was going to take Quade a little bit to get his legs underneath him, and then – he absolutely hit his stride, double-digit score, leading assist man, best free-throw shooter, best three-point shooter. Uh, the team was rolling except for the hiccup against UCLA, which I would, have, I would call an aberration. And then, um, and then now this team is, is a little bit rudderless, uh, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's definitely lost its way. Uh, I think the confidence level is down, and, and um, you know they got to figure it out because you've got 14 – Pac-12 games left and uh, a lot of season, but yet um, the outlook and the prognosis, at least in the short term, has not been good. So let's start with the academics thing, and I I assume you don't know the specifics, and if you did, I would never ask you to divulge, but you were a player, so you can kind of take us, because a lot of people are frustrated that weren't players. You know about the availability of tutors 
to these players and the like. Typically, Jason, how does this happen? Does it catch Hopkins by surprise? Or is it the type of thing that the coach is typically in the loop the whole quarter and trying to get the kid help? I, I mean, how do, does all of a sudden we turn on our phones and find out that he's ineligible for the quarter? How does this happen? Yeah, I mean, you're right on the first part. I, I don't know the specifics, um, you know, but I, I can tell you that as a former student athlete, uh, I think that the University of Washington does a really good job of trying to provide as much support and guidance for, for players as they possibly can. And um, you know, there's there's probably a ton of things that go into this and 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 reasons why. But um, you know, I, I know Quade. I know where his heart and desire you know lied and what he was expecting of himself and and um, his ability to help this team. And you know, I know he's got it. I mean, you know, he's he's put in a lot of time and effort. And uh, you know, unfortunately, um, the results the results weren't there. And uh, and now he, he's in a tough situation, and, and the team's in a tough situation. But the kid has got, with all the tutors available, the kid has got to be able to say, "Hey, I need the help." Right? If he doesn't, if he doesn't say to the coaching staff or whomever, "Hey, I could use some help," then they have no way of knowing. Yeah, I mean, I think every every student athlete there is is set up and structured with with guidance in mind. And then, um, you know, as, as the results come, it either gets escalated or de-escalated, right? I mean, if, if you got a kid that's coming in, it's, you know, uh, uh, a decent student and you start to see their track record, they might not need as much support. You see somebody that's struggling, they probably get a ton of support. And so, you know, I don't think it's probably a lack of support. Um, you know, there's just probably a lot of other factors that, you know, were tough for him in, in school. And, you know, I, I don't want to, again, I don't, I don't want to speculate on what the situation was because I, I don't know, you know, the particular class mix or where he struggled or even, you know, what made him ineligible. So I, I'd just be guessing at this point. Yeah. People are pointing the finger at Hopkins, the head coach, for not – for not being in the mix and not making sure that this happens. Is that, are those fair fingers to be pointed or is that just everybody's exasperated and looking for somebody to blame? Well, I mean, it's, it's, if you're the CEO, eventually everything lands on your desk. I mean, that's just the nature of the job. I think coach Hopkins understands that. I, you know, as I'm sure, you know, I've seen Twitter, I've seen people talk about, you know, how does this happen? And, you know, what is coach hop doing and what is Quade doing? And, you know, it's, 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 it's a combination of everything. I mean, you have a situation where, you know, you, you got a kid that's struggling, struggling academically. And, um, you know, we don't know, it could have been 24 uh, seven around the clock um, tutoring. I mean, I, I don't know. So it's, 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 it's unfair to point the blame when none of us know the situation, I guess is yeah. the best way I could put it. So there's the impact on the floor the X's and O's, and then there's that emotional part of this for the team that's hard to quantify. They go to the Bay Area, they lose both. It's a young team that looks like it was kind of floored by this emotionally, or was I reading into that watching those games, Jason? Well, the funny thing is, you know, they went into into Stanford and, you know, played pretty well. Uh, the first half, they you know, they looked like they were ready to go. Um, you know, up 12 in the second half late. And all of a sudden uh, they stayed in the zone. Stanford started to hit a couple of threes that they were missing in the first half. And Washington went on a couple of those runs where are those dry spells where they can't, they can't score. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest, most glaring things that were obvious to me was 
Quad A was the best transition finder of people in transition to get them a shot in their spot. And he was the best post-entry passer on this team to get Isaiah Stewart easier looks, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's been doubling Isaiah Stewart, but his production against a really good Stanford defense, you know, showed. And so when he's not scoring the basketball at the clip that, that you're used to, um, it puts a lot of other pressure on everybody else to score. And when you don't have Quade Green on the floor to knock down threes as your best three-point shooter, um, and you go through missing, you know, six, seven in a row and going on three and four minute dry spells, it's hard to win games. And that's that's kind of where this Washington team is at right now. Are you telling me that without those things, those attributes that Quade brings to the table, let's assume they get over this. They, they will get over the emotion of it if they're not already over it. And then it will come down to whether they have the players and whether they can play and whether they can win with this group, with this depth, the amount of games that it takes to win in the Pac-12 to somehow slip in the tournament, and then maybe, maybe he can come back if he gets his grades up uh, for the NCAA tournament or the Pac-12 tournament. I don't know exactly how it works, but um, are they good enough? Are they good enough as is without him to be able to win whatever they got to win, 12? I don't know. You tell me what they've got to win. Yeah, I'll put it like this. They're talented enough to do it. They're certainly talented enough to do it. And it, it, but it really comes down to, to me, you know, you think about the NCAA tournament, Mitch, um, who are the most influential players on the floor in the NCAA tournament? Point typically? guard. Point guard. Always. Point guard. And, and so if you're going through this without somebody um, that really truly runs your operation, Jamal Bay is, is, has come in. He's obviously playing out of position. Um, you know, as a bigger guard, um, and, and it's it's serviceable. Elijah Hardy, uh, he started against Stanford. He didn't start against against Cal. Um, doesn't have quite the experience. Marcus Sahonis, who was redshirting, and they had to pull his redshirt um, to have some depth. You know, he came in and did a couple of nice things against Cal, but he's got a way to go to be that guy. The, the question is, can they get? the production out of the point guard spot? Can they get somebody to lead them from the point guard spot in a, in the amount of time that they have left? And I, I know that we're, there's 14 games in a month and a half of the season, which seems like a lot of time, but you can't stumble along the way and still figure, you know, and still find yourself in a position where, you know, your, your resume is great at the end. How many games do they play? 18 still, or is it 20? 18 games? Yeah, yeah, 18. Yeah. And, they're, and they're one and three already. So Correct. The math doesn't look good. I mean, what do you think? You, th- you think uh, it is 12 and six? Does 12 and six get them in? It depends on who they beat, right? So yeah. the, 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 the good and bad about the schedule prior to um, Quad A being ineligible was you had the organs – coming to you, which is, is happening, you know, this week, um, you go to the Rockies, um, and then you get Arizona home and road, but you don't go to Oregon and the Rockies don't come to you. So the bulk of your games, were going to be against the, the LA's, the Bay's, you know, Washington, Washington state. So you, you, you had it set up in some ways that if you were able to win at home and beat an Oregon and split against the Arizonas and, you know, and then win the rest of those games, you had a chance to have a really good Pac-12 record. And now 
they just have a hole. They've dug themselves a hole uh, in losing to UCLA at home and then obviously getting swept in the Bay. And so it, I can't give you a number. I'm, I, the only thing I can say is this Oregon State game coming up on Thursday at home is massive. There's so much frustrating about this for Huskies fans. The biggest is the obvious, right? You've got two diaper dandies. They're probably both one and done. And in that one season, to not play in the NCAA would just be awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. I think both of them came with the expectation, um, you know, of playing in the NCAA tournament and and showcasing their skill set and 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 doing all the above. Now, that's not that's not a, a dead philosophy at this point, but it's certainly um, it, it's certainly a little harder to, to see and envision today than it was, you know, uh, six months ago. Um, but, you know, those guys, those guys got to play better. Um, the, the upperclassmen, uh, Amir Wright and Isaiah Carter have to play better. They've got to be leaders in this situation beyond whatever they could have even expected or dreamed of because now, um, you know, they, they need some veteran guys to step up and say, hey, this season's not lost. We just got to gotta pick it up. So what happens to Quade between now and then? I'm assuming he hasn't dropped out of school. Something I, I read somewhere where he's allowed to practice with the team. Do you just assume, Jason, that he'll practice every day, work on his academics, and hopefully be reinstated? Is the hope that he could be reinstated – before the NCAA tournament, before the Pac-12 tournament, what when would that be? Uh, it would be postseason. It would be postseason. I believe, I believe the quarter ends right. The, the quarter ends right before the, the NCAA tournament. Uh, yeah. yeah, selection yeah. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. The, I think it. I think yeah. it ends the week of their Pac-12 tournament. Actually, correct. That's when I think it. Correct. So, is the assumption that yeah. he's going to stay around, or you know, so often you get a guy like this who comes from a long ways away, struggles academically, and then just decides to leave. Is the assumption within the program that he's going to stay around? That is my, I had not heard anything differently other than, yeah, he's, he's full speed ahead in, in working on school and practicing and going to be practicing with the team. So any, anything outside of that, I've, I've not heard anything about. Is he allowed to sit on the bench during games? I don't know that, actually. I hadn't, hadn't asked that question. Was he there at Stanford and, and uh, Cal? He can't travel. Oh, he can't travel. He cannot travel. Okay, so may, travel. maybe home ga- maybe home games. Okay. Yeah, so since since this was announced, I haven't – we haven't been home to see any of that. So I don't, I can't give you answers on that. Oh boy. What a bummer. What a bummer. Yeah. And that's why I say, I just hope, I, I really hope that in the next couple of days in practice and, in in just regrouping that they can, they can find a way because here's, here's the crazy part, Mitch and Tony Castricone and I were having this conversation. We're talking like this right now, but Somehow, some way, if you were able to win two uh, this week against Oregon State and Oregon, and I know that sounds, you know, ridiculous based on what's just happened in the first four games, but if you were able to do that, the outlook then is a it's a it's a 180 outlook from how you and I are talking, uh, an absolute 180. So we'll see, we'll see. I mean, it's 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 certainly damaging, and um, you know, I, I feel for the entire group because it, it it does change a lot. But um, I don't think the story's quite over yet. You got Hop trying everything. He played a lot of man to man. Played a lot of man to man in the Bay Area over the weekend, didn't he? He did, and you know, um, mostly in the Cal game, and it, I think primarily because they stuck with the zone 
in the Stanford game, even when Stanford started hitting some threes late. And I think once uh, Cal started hitting some threes um, in that first half uh, in Berkeley, they, they said, we've got we've to switch this up. And they did a nice job of playing man-to-man. and getting, That's really what got them back in the game is going man and, and making Cal have to beat them you know, using sets versus just casting threes. You know, I also thought, you talk about trying stuff, you know, he brought in Marcus Sahonas. He played Raekwon Battle. Um, you know, they're, they're still trying to find a way to get Nate Roberts more minutes, who's been a difference maker. So, you know, it's almost as if they're hitting the reset button a little bit with Quad A Green um, not being available and the rotations that they're used to. So it is a work in progress. But, yeah, they're, I think they're going to throw some things against the wall here. Uh, boy. And you wonder why I'm a passionate pessimist when it comes to sports. I guess I'm a passionate pessimist when it comes to life. But every time I get really excited about something, I just it, – it inevitably ends up in disappointment. All right, Jason D. Hamilton, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I had hoped, as I said at the top, I had hoped that you'd come back on the show and we'd laugh a little bit. But hard to laugh over what's going on. Let's see them beat Oregon State and Oregon. If they can beat Oregon State and Oregon in the next week – We'll be having a lot different conversation, as you just pointed out, a lot different conversation the next time you're on this podcast. Thank you very much for being back with us. Thanks, Mitch. Jason D. Hamilton, can the University of Washington and Mike Hopkins somehow turn this thing around in the wake of the academic suspension to Quad A Green? If they could just somehow figure out a way to win some games and slip into the tournament and maybe Green becomes eligible after the quarter ends for the NCAA tournament, who knows what will happen? We'll just kind of have to wait and see. Did you know, by the way, that Daniel's Broiler is celebrating its 40th year anniversary with an appropriate yet amazing January promotion? Enjoy dinner at one of the four scintillating Daniels, and you'll be offered a bottle of Veuve Clicquot Yellow Label Champagne for just $40 with the purchase of two entrees. Veuve Clicquot Champagne, regularly $145 at Daniel's, 40 in the month of January because Daniel's Broiler is turning 40. For the last 20 of those years, the Schwartz family and Daniel's broiler has stood by my side like a best friend, through thick and through thin, the very same way that this world-class steakhouse has become a unique and integral part of the Northwest culture. So join me in honoring Daniel's for its constant excellence, attention to every detail, and making every guest for 40 years feel important and welcomed. Vouve Clicquot. $40, Daniel's Broiler Location, South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and the new downtown Hyatt Regency. Happy New Year from Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. And as episode 74 continues, we begin a new year. We begin a new decade. There's more than just sports going on. There's New Year's resolutions. And what's perennially the most common goal we set for ourselves in January? We're all going to lose weight. 
And with that, there's the trendy diet seemingly every year. On this segment, we're going to learn about the current craze called intermittent fasting, IF. And joining us is Dr. Monique Tello, a primary care physician in the Boston area and a faculty member at the prestigious Harvard University Medical School. Dr. Tello, Happy New Year, and thanks so much for sharing some wisdom on Mitch Unfiltered. Happy New Year to you too, Mitch. Appreciate you joining us. Tell us, what is intermittent fasting? I know there's different versions, and why are we so obsessed with this in 2020? Absolutely. So, Mitch, intermittent fasting is not really a diet in and of itself. It's merely an approach to eating. It's just changing the timing of the eating and adding in some periods of not eating. So, really, just any time between meals where somebody's not snacking can be considered fasting. Um, What's key here is that people have realized or sort of rediscovered that if you fast for some amount of time on a regular basis, um, you can actually have really good results uh, in your body, not just with weight loss, um, but with improvements in blood sugar, um, which is key for people who are at risk for diabetes or even who have diabetes and in some other metabolic parameters, things like blood pressure um, that are important for your cardiovascular health. So it's, it's just an approach to eating, and then it's a whole separate issue to talk about how to eat, like what foods to eat. So they sort of go together. Yeah. You know, you talk about how it's good for the body, and that's what I find different (laughs) about this discussion. You're not calling it a diet, so let's just say a weight loss mechanism. What's different about this one (laughs) than the trendy diets? Every year there seems to be something trendy, a book that's read, a book that's written, a book that's (laughs) out. And what's different to me, to my eye about this is lots of doctors are jumping on board and saying, well, this is very beneficial to the body outside of weight Mm -hmm. loss. Can you explain to our listeners and to me what happens during the process of fasting and why this is beneficial to the body outside of weight loss? Sure, absolutely. I'm very excited about intermittent fasting as well. I'm definitely on the bandwagon. I wasn't always, though. Um, When this first started um, hitting the bestseller lists, um, I was very skeptical, and I really had to dig down into the research um, supporting this. What it does, it allows your body to relax and use your stores. So you want to use your stored fat. Really, it it makes sense. You're not going to lose weight unless you burn the fat that you have stored. And you're not going to do that if you're eating. That that makes so much sense. Why why do we we struggle with this? But the teaching has been, oh, you have to be eating many small meals all day long in order to keep your metabolism right. People have heard that. it's not true, and it, it totally, that wouldn't make sense. This makes sense. So you have to stop eating for some period of time, allow your blood sugars to go down, and allow your insulin levels to go down. So insulin is a hormone that's released in your body in response to the rise in blood sugar. And the more your blood sugar rises and the faster it rises, the more insulin your body releases in response. And insulin takes all that blood sugar that's floating around your bloodstream and it escorts it to your fat cells for storage. So any sugar that you don't burn off right away after you eat gets stored as fat. Now we... Um, in our society, our culture, we have started eating kind of a really high sugar, high processed carbohydrate diet, a lot of breads and pastas and baked goods and sweets and sugary snacks and sodas and things like that, that cause blood sugar to spike and go up really high 
Um, and it's really easy to put on fat if you're eating that way on a regular basis. And it's really hard to lose weight if you're eating like that on a regular basis. So, so step number one is to clean up your diet, which is why I really emphasize the intermittent fasting part is an approach to eating, but the diet has to be cleaned right. up too, or right. it won't work. So while we're so first step is yeah. So while yeah. we're not eating, Doctor Tello, while we're not eating, your insulin is going <laughs> down. The levels of your insulin yeah. are going down, and that's allowing you to burn fat. Essentially, did I get that right? Yes, exactly. So you kind of have to let the sugar levels go down, and then the insulin levels go down, and your body's like, hey. Now, if I'm moving around and, or, you know, my metabolism is going, I need to burn some fat for energy. And that's when the weight loss magic happens. So the higher somebody's baseline metabolism is, usually meaning the more muscle mass they have and the more baseline activity they're doing, the better this method is going to work for them. So there's, that's the other, the other key ingredient here. So you need to have a healthy diet at baseline, um, and you need to have a pretty good metabolism in order for this to work. So a lot of people who don't have good muscle mass complain that intermittent fasting doesn't work for them. That's probably because their metabolism is kind of slow. If you're not moving around a lot, you have poor muscle tone, your metabolism is going to be sluggish. And intermittent fasting is, is really just going to be kind of painful for you. You're right. just going to be hungry. Right. Dr. Monique Tello is our guest, primary physician, faculty member at uh, Harvard University's medical school. So as I understand it, there are different methods to this. There's fasting full days and then not fasting. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the one because it fits my lifestyle more where you eat over what, an eight or 10 hour period of the day and then boom, mm-hmm. you don't eat. Do you drink? Can you drink water? Can you drink liquids in that period? How long? So what's your favorite version of this? And what should we be doing during the times that we're not that we're not eating, that we're fasting besides sleeping? Obviously. Yes. So the approach that you're describing is is a very healthy one and it's very doable. It's circadian rhythm, um, intermittent fasting, where you simply fit your meals into some window of the day, like a six to eight hour period of the day. Some people do 10. Um, A lot of people do eight. So you're eating all your meals within an eight hour period and then you're fasting for the other uh, 16 hours of the day. And what you want to do when you're fasting, it doesn't mean nothing passes your lips, right? You can drink water, you can drink seltzer, you can have tea, coffee, even like broth, if that's something that you want to do, right. um, liquids. It's key to be drinking enough liquids. Can I stay hydrated? Can, can I exercise uh, during mm-hmm. during the fasting period? Is it healthy for me to? Let, let's say I decide for me, for because of my lifestyle. Let's say I decide I'm going to eat from ten to six. 10 a.m. to 6, I'm not much of a breakfast person, which, by the way, I want to talk to you about because I'm always the most skeptical guy in the room. And I was told (laughs) many years ago that you want to eat many, many little meals. Don't eat three meals, many, many. Now I'm being told Mm -hmm. by Dr. Tello of Harvard University, no, 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 Mitch, that's not right. So what's to stop you from calling me in a year and saying, "Uh uh-oh, intermittent fasting isn't isn't any good anyway. We found this out in rats or there's (laughs) no... new findings and now you shouldn't have been doing this all this time so that's that's one question i got all these questions rolling up in my head but let's go back to the original (laughs) the original question which is all right i eat from let's say i eat all my meals from 10 to 6 question number Mm -hmm. one is can i eat since it's only an eight hour period can i eat 
um, a little here and a little there during that eight hours. And then the second question is, what am I allowed to do? Okay, 6 p.m. comes and I'm not allowed to eat until 10 a.m. the next day. You just told me I can have water, tea, coffee, broth. Can I exercise? What can I do during that time? Or what should I be afraid of doing during that time? Absolutely. So you you can eat in any way you want during that window, that eight-hour window where you're eating your meals. The key, though, is to be eating healthily um, and to be avoiding the processed carbohydrates and the sugars and things that are going to cause your your sugar levels and your insulin levels to spike. So you want to be eating healthfully when you eat. And it doesn't really matter if you eat small meals during that time or big meals, but just eat normally and healthfully. It's not the time to be feasting. Fasting does not allow feasting. And and you've got to eat healthy. Otherwise, you're not going to get good results. Um, second of all, you can absolutely exercise while fasting. That's perfectly safe. The only caveats I put out there are people who are on medications for diabetes. Um, those are blood sugar lowering medications, and they really should only approach fasting um, and meal skipping with the guidance of a doctor. I see. Is it going to be easy for me to exercise? Let's say I'm, an, I'm a morning exerciser and I haven't eaten for 16 hours. Mo- Monique hasn't allowed me to eat for 16 hours and now I'm on the treadmill. Am I going to be able to work out? I'm starving out, you, Miss. I'm starving you. <laughs> I'm You're like- going to be fine. Okay. Yeah, so so everybody's a little bit different. You know, I mean, it, uh, people need to listen to their bodies. If somebody is really unable to exercise without eating breakfast, then maybe their window should be different from yours. Like maybe they should be fasting on a different time period and eating for at like from 7 a.m. until eight hours from there. You know, everybody's a little bit different. So just pick an eight-hour period that works for you and eat during that eight-hour period. And if people are okay with exercise while they're fasting, it's perfectly safe. Is it okay to move that eight if you're a late riser? Let's say you work different types mm. of hours, and let's say you go to bed late, you get up late. Are you? Is it okay to shift and push that eight-hour period to say, I don't know, 12 p.m., 12 mm-hmm. noon to 8 p.m.? Uh, I guess you're going to tell me you just don't want us going to sleep right after that last mm-hmm. meal, right? Right. So you don't want to eat right before bed, and there's separate research on that. That's a whole different subject. Nighttime eating is independently linked to an increased risk of obesity and diabetes. And it makes sense, right? Any food you have in your body, um, if you're asleep, when your metabolism is at its absolute lowest, it's going to get turned right into stored fat. So you, you don't want to eat right before you go to sleep. And what define what that means, right before. Is, it, is two hours okay? Is three hours okay? What is, what is considered right before you go to sleep? Ah, and that's going to depend a little bit on what you're eating. So if somebody's talking about a steak dinner, then that's going to require many more hours to digest. So that would be like something you would want to eat at least three or four hours before you're planning on lying down. Right. But if it's like an apple, right. an apple you could probably have like an hour before you lie down. Right. So it's all about like what you're eating and how long it's going to take to like move through your system. So Dr. Monique Tello, tell me whatever happened to the breakfast being the most important meal of the day i mean if we're starting if we're starting at 10 we're starting at 11 maybe we're even starting at 12 uh, out the window with that whole routine forget breakfast yeah so that so let's go back to the breakfast myth i i love talking about this because i love blowing myths like out of the water (laughs) so so the breakfast myth was invented by the same people that invented breakfast cereal this is the kellogg's people i'm talking like way back when they needed a marketing gimmick to get people to buy their quote-unquote healthy product and so they created this whole line of commercials around breakfast being so important and it's it's not. You do not need to eat breakfast. There's no evidence to support that you need to eat breakfast. So if people don't like to eat breakfast, it's one of my favorite things to tell them. You don't need to. 
put it away. Coffee healthy? I'm not you can, a, oh, coffee is a great. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. never, it's funny because I'm the only guy in the Seattle metropolitan area. I came here 25 years ago and I haven't had a cup of coffee in the 25 years that I'm here. I'm like the only person in Seattle that will <laughs> never drink. I've never had a cup of coffee. I've literally never had a cup of coffee in Seattle. And I, I watch that stuff go down the throats of different people like my wife and so forth. And I wonder, is that a, <laughs> is coffee really healthy or is it not healthy? So, you know, coffee does have antioxidants and is associated with some better health outcomes, but so is tea. Do you drink tea? Yeah, I do drink tea, yes. There you go. Tea is absolutely chock full of antioxidants, green tea especially, but really all tea. Um, So go crazy with your tea. People can have their coffee. What's the bigger issue is what are people putting in their coffee or their tea? You know, if they're loading up their wonderful antioxidant beverage with cream and sugar, ain't so healthy anymore, right? So, yeah. All right, so as we conclude... Just tell me and promise me, put your put your right hand up in the air and promise me that if we do this, when we start 2021, I'm not going to get a caller. I'm not going to go online and read a nice article. And by the way, you can read her all over the place. She's terrific. Uh, I'm not going to read a nice article in 2021 which says, oops, intermittent fasting, no good any longer. I'm not going to read that, right? I hear you. I hear you. At this point, we have so much evidence. There's seriously, there's okay. so many studies now pointing at the benefits of intermittent fasting, and it just makes so much sense, right? Yeah. I, I highly doubt that we're going to see anything uh, in, in saying anything different than that. You're terrific. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter. You can read her work on the uh, Harvard Health Publishing website, Harvard Medical Schools. Her name is Dr. Monique Tello, T-E-L-L-O. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for the lessons. Thanks for the pearls of wisdom. Thanks for the the start to a healthy 2020. Thanks very much. No worries. Thanks for having me. Unfiltered. It's the... uh... The sound effect budget on this podcast. I'll tell you something. Steven Spielberg's going to be calling. Big, to know how we do big it. money. <laughs> right. It's the other stuff segment. Four uh, interviews in the books. Hope everybody enjoyed those four interviews. We got a lot of other little stuff. Some of it's kind of, kind of big stuff. We've got a national championship game of college football on the Monday that a lot of people will be listening to this. So I don't want to spend too much time because everybody who's been listening on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday to this episode, the game will be over. I was who you got. It's so funny. I was like, ah, football's over for me. I was like, oh, but the championship, I can't wait. I'm so excited Who to watch Who you got, it. Clemson or uh, LSU? Make a pick. I'm picking LSU because I'm sort of rooting for them over Clemson. I don't know if they're the better team. LSU. 37-31. Close Classic game. game. Classic college football game for the national championship, if you like offense. 37-31 is your final LSU Beats Clemson. Mark that down. That's my score. That LSU D looks good. You think Clemson's going to drop? Well, they got a good quarterback. I don't I know. Can't. I just I th- I got a funny feeling inside in the dome. New Orleans. Both quarterbacks are kind of hot. I, I just got a funny feeling that the defense is going to get left behind, and we're going to see some points scored. It's going to be fun. Cannot wait. Thirty-seven, thirty-one. LSU. By the way, is a five and a half point favorite. Uh, total is sixty-nine. We're, we're both taking LSU. Of course, we'll both be wrong. That's what do you right. got? What do you got over there? We never I mean, talked about Salvan Ahmed leaving Washington. Did, did we, we never talk about that? I don't think. Yeah, we, we did. Are you sure? Yeah, we I did. have it in my notes still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was been You've sitting really here forever. Your notes for a while. Yeah. Huh? Well, all right, I'll give you another one. Offensive lineman Cade Mays. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No. Probably a good reason you haven't. No. He transferred from Georgia to Tennessee, and you're thinking, well, what do I care about this guy? His dad, Kevin Mays, right pinky was severed by a folding chair during a recruiting visit on December fifteenth. 
and he's suing the University of Georgia. So his son, I guess, probably makes sense to go ahead and transfer out of there if your parents are suing <laughs> no, wait the a school. Second. What is that the craziest story? So in 2017, according to a lawsuit filed by his family, uh, former offensive line coach Sam Pittman picked up the severed pinky, put it on ice. I, I think there was some sort of act. He was sitting in a folding chair, the dad, and he had maybe had his hands underneath and the chair broke. And, you know, there's like all kinds of little, Oof. right, severed the guy's pinky off. <laughs> and, assistant coach, and the kid still decided to go to Georgia? Yeah, he still decided to go, but I don't think yeah, that was before they decided to sue the school for this. Yeah. And I'm curious to see. But he they, didn't have the finger the whole freshman year, did he? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he didn't, no. So, so he, yeah, he was diagnosed with partial amputation. So because of the oh lawsuit, Kay decided to go ahead and transfer. <laughs> oh, the craziest story ever on a recruiting visit? You're, of all the things. Yeah. Doesn't sound Not very good. dangerous, a recruiting visit. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Next thing you know, you come back with nine fingers. How about Ryan Tannehill? Oh, yeah. Gosh, that was awesome. I was at a show in Seattle, so I was kind of watching it on restaurant screens. How about and- my guy, Ryan Tannehill? Leading the Titans into Baltimore, where nobody's beating the Ravens, right? Ravens are 14-2. and two. They're going to the Super Bowl. Just a matter of time. And the Titans come out of there with Ryan Tannehill is playing for the AFC Championship next week in Kansas City. I come mean, on. He, he slayed the did Patriots. Did you ever expect to hear those no. words? <laughs> Ryan Tannehill no, I did is not. playing for the AFC Championship <laughs> for the Titans in Kansas City on, on, on the weekend. Does he have a chance? Mm, they has a chance. They're okay. a hot team, but no, nah, they're not winning. They're not winning. Patrick love Mahomes is winning. That Derrick Henry, Patrick Mahomes though, is man. going to the Super Bowl. Huh? Derrick Henry. God. What a beast, huh? He doesn't even look like he's that fast. It's kind of smooth. It's kind of... I don't think he is that he's fast. He's not shifty. He's not making anybody miss. No, he but just gets up He field. just gets it done. Plants his 15 foot 15 or 1,600 yards? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a beast. Julian Edelman had a little fun over the weekend. I don't know if you read no, this. No, I didn't know this. He was arrested in Beverly Hills. Just got done playing for the Patriots, right? He was walking around at 9 p.m. when, for some unknown reason, he hopped up on a car, causing damage to a car, like to make his friends laugh. Was jumping up and down drunkenly, apparently, from allegedly what they say. So he was, uh, well, actually pretty impressive that he was able to jump on a car because I heard he needs knee surgery, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Alcohol can do that for you. Yeah. So the 30. 33- that's another reason to hate the Patriots, but yeah, go ahead. And I know, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the cops were in the area working a robbery case. Someone flagged him down and said, uh, hey, this guy was. Take jump- him to jail? Yeah, he went to jail. Yeah, he was cited. Julian Edelman. Cited for misdemeanor vandalism and released with they his just, friends. To the Patriots' defense, they just don't know how to behave when they're out of the playoffs. They've, this is like the first time. He's never had Julian to do this. Yeah, yeah. He's walking around like, what do I do? Jump on cars? I've got a lot of free time on my hands. Let me just jump on a couple cars. Hanging out with Paul Pierce and Danny Amendola, by the uh, way. I'm absolutely sick. You think I'm sick about the Seahawks season coming to an end? I am absolutely sick about the Washington Husky basketball team. And I know that I had Jason Hamilton on, so I won't belabor the point. But this was set up to be such a fun season. Yep. And I don't know how it happens. How does a guy, how does a guy's grades get so bad when they have all of those tutors and everything available at their fingertips? Is it just that he just doesn't go to class? He's got to know if he's not going to classes, he's going to, he's going to be ruled ineligible. I mean, how, how, do, how do we get to that point? I tried to bring it up with Jason, who's a former basketball player at Washington. I just don't get it. Does, does it. does Hopkins not know that he's struggling or not going to class, and then all of a sudden he gets the report card, and it's like, 
That's it? Because he's never really been able to help him? Or has he been helping him the whole quarter and getting him tutors and it just didn't work? I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I don't all... know why I want to know, but I just kind of want to <laughs> know how do we get to a point where a kid like Quade Green gets essentially tossed off the team? I have, what, all what those, I have all those questions in my head, too. Like, you, if I'm Coach Hopkins, I am all over grades, right? Right. Like, I want a daily report right. from, for all my players. Okay, and then if he anybody's knows. close, okay, I'm going to intervene. Okay, then you, then you think he knows the whole time. How could you not? That's pretty high stakes. Okay, so what happened? I, that, again, I don't know. It's crazy don't that you, that's allowed to happen. Don't you call the, 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 the teacher and go, like the movies, and go, Man, we need this kid. Yeah. Can we just, what can I do? Sad. You need tickets? <laughs> Who needs, you need a pen? You need a washing you need a washing the pen. A couple uh, bucks, man. I got a Come naked on. lady pen. You turn it upside down or, or I have a feeling this probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> I have a feeling. Did you ever this- see one on one or with Robbie Benson? I don't remember. There's a story it, about no. a college basketball player. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. But this wouldn't happen at Duke or Kentucky or like those schools. Well, they would have found a way, right, to make the kid eligible. Well, I think at Duke you can't well, I shouldn't say that. What am I talking about? Uh, I, I was going to say you can't get in unless you have really good grades to begin with, but I don't think that that's the case. Yeah, but I'm just saying you... <sighs> I, I just want to know. I'm just I'm frustrated because they had... <sighs> it was set up to be so fun. Even with these early season losses, I wasn't really getting bogged down with them because they're all new. They've got two freshmen and McDaniels and Stewart, and they were going to be better at the end of the year than they were. I, I wasn't getting down. The, the, the early losses didn't bother me. But then I pick up my phone and I see that Quade Green, just when he's like doing, he, I mean, he's playing great. He's making threes and free throws and passes. I mean, he's, he's, how does he become academically ineligible? That can't happen. It can't happen. It's sort of inexcusable. And who, and who, and whose fault is it? Is it his or is it the coaches? I, I'm just, I'm, I'm flailing here because I just, I don't understand how it gets to this point. We got to get to the bottom of it. I don't understand either. But Jason, if you're right and Hopkins knows day after day after day, I'm not saying he does. I'm saying I if would. You're right about yeah. that. How he had all he had weeks and weeks and weeks to get at the kid to help and just figure out. And what do you have to do to be eligible? By the way, what's the what's the standard? Well, they probably have a grade point average in high school. When I coached, kids had to be have like a two five, so it wasn't that high. You okay. had to have a two point five. What do you think he has to get? C's. I know, right? Oh, yeah, you just ask for help. There's so many resources. Well, you're that saying you're... that he didn't have to ask for help because Hopkins knew. You're telling me that Hopkins knew the whole time. Yeah, but I'm saying if you're, if you're him, if you're the, the player, don't you sort of reach out and say, I don't want to be ineligible. I need a tutor. Somebody help me here. Yeah, I know. <sighs> Crazy, right? I mean, he's, he could play in the NBA one day. I mean, this could affect a lot of things. Well, I, a lot of things. I'm not really worried about his NBA, his well, NBA career. His life this choices, team, I mean. They, they, you know, when you when you sign two guys like Stewart and McDaniels, that's a once in a life. T- you get one year with them. Yeah. They, they uh, Memo, they're not going to be here next year. You get <laughs> right. one shot. Yeah. And if they're playing in an NIT with McDaniels and Stewart before they go, both before they're both lottery picks, because Quade Green couldn't stay eligible academically, what an and you ask me why I'm a passionate pessimist, why I'm a cynical pessimist? Because every time I get my hopes up over something like this, the, you get pulled from the the the, the tablecloth. It's like the old tablecloth trick. Where oh yeah, when everything stays the <laughs> same. Right. And by the uh, way, doesn't Baylor keep winning? They're going to be number one. They've got <laughs> to win over the number worse. one team in the country. Right, right. Torture. Oh, no, I know. That's why we can't have nice things. I don't know if you saw Chiefs O lineman. Uh, oh no, wait, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Uh, 
Patrick Mahomes threw a touchdown to Blake Bell at the top of the fourth quarter in Sunday's playoff game, and their teammate Eric Fisher ran over to celebrate, and he showered himself with two beers, two cans of beer. I don't know if you saw that. No. But How, was, where did he get the beers? I, I don't know Somebody where he got them. Somebody delivered them on the field? Maybe it saw a fan handed yeah, it? I yeah. don't know. But uh, there was a wrestler named Stone Cold Steve Austin. That, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't love wrestling. So no, I but I know that guy. I know that guy. So that I was his, that, guy. Yeah. that was Stone Cold's move was to do the, the beers. Oh, I didn't know So that. this was like an homage to Stone Cold. So now really? I love this guy and I'm rooting did for Did he Chiefs. actually have beers to do it? He had two cans. It looks Where like did beer. He get him? It's a great question. But he showered. He Maybe like, Andy <laughs> Reid. Take a look. Yeah, that's true. He's had a beer Andy in his Reed day. Andy Reid was pissed that he wasted those things. That's right. He was <laughs> over with a, He was with a straw over on the turf. Did you see the, the Twitter spat? Between Michael Thomas, all-world wide receiver oh, for the New World. Well, he holds the record now. Most catches in a year in the history of the NFL. Wow. He's like, he's like a record holder. Michael Thomas and a TV reporter. No, I didn't see that. You did not see that. So two people on Twitter not agreeing on something and not getting along? Oh, Go yeah. on. It was, it, was, it was not very good. Let me see if I can get it in front of me. Okay, so here's the story. Michael Thomas, who they lose to last week? The Saints. Uh, they lost to the Vikings. The Vikings. Yes. Now, the Vikings are playing the 49ers and getting their lunch handed to them over the weekend. And Michael Thomas is sitting in his couch, and he's just riding the Vikings. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. He's just torturing the Vikings on Twitter. Every little thing they do. He's, he, and finally, a TV sports reporter named Andrew Doak from WWL in New Orleans has seen and heard enough, and he says, <laughs> he tweets, if your team was eliminated from the playoffs, he doesn't mention Michael Thomas, if your team was eliminated from the playoffs, it's usually not the best idea to talk smack all day on Twitter on the team that sent you to your couch for the rest of the season. Does okay. not mention Michael Thomas so and just tweets. He doesn't that. at him. No. Okay. No. Wow. No. All right. Michael Thomas, though, gets a load of the, the, the tweet, and he doesn't like it so much. He writes, same couch I sat on every week after leading the league in every category, week in and week out, while you were searching for some stoof, goofy story. He writes. All right. All right, so now the other guy's up, <laughs> and he writes, don't be a bad sport, be respectable, move on, get them next season. Your stats speak for themselves. We know you're a baller, but you lost – Fair and square after a great season. Deal with it in a better way. Be well, Mike. That's what Andrew Doak writes. Well, that wasn't the end of it. Michael <laughs> Thomas writes, nope. It never is. This is my platform. You follow me and watch me. Know your place. Like I said, you don't know me. And you ain't ever played this sport. So keep your advice for your intramural team. <laughs> That's pretty well, good, actually. Andrew Doak was not finished. Oh, geez. And you don't know me either. I'm done with the Twitter fingers. If you ever want to talk in person in the locker room, I'll see you there. Good night. Michael Thomas says, watch your mouth before I have to pop you in it before you even make it to the locker room. Good night. Jeez. Threatening somebody on Twitter? <laughs> now I want to go cover the Saints next year and see what happens. There you go. There you go. How do you like that? Who's in wow. the room? Do you have any problems? Who do you... Do you have any problems with the reporter getting involved? No, or he, he, the reporter was respectful. He was he wasn't calling. Should him he out have not? Him. Should he have not gotten in, involved in the first place in the frame? Just let Michael Thomas do what he wants, or is it okay for a reporter in New Orleans seeing what the star wide receiver is doing to kind of jump in and say, "Come on, it's not it doesn't look so good. It's not a good look." I think the fact that the reporter didn't at him. Yeah, it was just he changes can, it. Yeah, it changes it a bit. Yeah, it's. I mean, we, we know it wasn't just a generic tweet. We yeah. know who it was targeted to. Yeah, yeah. but in court, <laughs> you could say, "Well, I didn't. It was. Oh. I just. <laughs> I just tweeted it." I mean, 
<laughs> How did he see it? But you know, people on Twitter love it, don't they? Oh. They love it. Did you see what he said? They, they can't wait for it. So uh, funny. Uh, Richard Sherman had a big game against the Vikings, got back to the locker room where he was immediately approached, asked for a PED and an HGH test. I did see that he was saying it's because he had a good game. Yeah. See, see what happened? And he writes something like, ha, 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 ball out and get, get the double dip, PED and HGH tests. Ha, 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 gotta love it. Richard Sherman's playing in the NFC Championship game. If, if those tests come back, okay, well, he's playing in the NFC Championship game against the Packers, unfortunately. So I'm guessing that they get the results back quick enough, and if they're negative, or I mean, sorry, if they're positive, right. negative for him, yeah. then he could be out of the championship game? Is it that fast? Yeah, I, I assume think so. it is, yeah. I, I, would, I would think so. Wow, would that be clean. a story? <laughs> Wait, didn't he weasel his way out of it well, here's when he the was thing. here? He knows whether they're I mean, he knows whether he's done something wrong. Sure. So if 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 he was worried about them being positive, I don't think he would have tweeted this. Oh, that's gotcha. how you kind of know that I would think that they'll be clean, right? Yeah. That does make you wouldn't draw attention no, to it no. if it's if gonna he, come back. If he knew there was a chance, oops. Oh. Adderall. Oops. Yeah. I don't think he would. Chiefs offensive lineman Laurent Dever- I know all Which these you and stories Chiefs offensive, offensive lineman. I didn't know that there's only one active player in the NFL who doubles as a physician. Did you know that? No. That's kind of cool. How dumb does that make me feel? Like during the offseason, <laughs> yeah. he's like a doctor? <laughs> I mean, think about an offensive lineman. is wor- The first thing I thought of was uh, sometimes men have to have procedures done by doctors. <laughs> this guy's 6'6", 330. Can you maybe find me somebody 5'3 over here with some tiny hands? Good Lord, man. You, you want Danny DeVito as your <laughs> That's doctor. That's right, exactly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, dear. All right. Um, I'm feeling kind of weird. Tell me if I'm if I'm overthinking it. So Tiger Woods' 10-year-old son, you know, he's got a daughter and a son, an older daughter, not an older, older daughter, but older than the son. He's okay. got a 10-year-old son who is playing in a junior golf tournament, I guess, over the weekend. And somebody who was at that course with Tiger standing behind him, he was warming up on the practice range, and somebody decided they couldn't resist filming from a distance the little kid taking a couple of shots with Tiger standing right behind him. He caddied for him in this little golf Oh, that's tournament. cute. Yeah. The video is unbelievable. The kid's swing is unbelievable. Is that right? Yeah. At least from my eyes, my perspective as a, as a golfer, as, okay. a, as, a, as a golf nick. It's unbelievable. And I started to retweet it or to post it, and I was like, ooh. Yeah. It, you know, it's clearly, I mean. It's, it's a kid. He's 10 years yeah. old. The guy's on the, the guy who's filming it is like in the parking lot. Right. It feels tell. creepy and weird. It, there's a little yeah. bit creepy. But it is so impressive that I want to tweet. <laughs> I mean, it just, and I don't want to put pressure on the kid. Then the point isn't to say, hey, he's going to win the Masters in 10 right. years. and whatever. But the You want to brag for him. The like- kid's golf swing is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally as good as any ten year old golf swing you'll ever see. That's crazy. I mean, it's fantastic. So I kind I'm asking you for permission. <laughs> should I retweet uh, it or not? Should I should I copy it and paste it and retweet it or not? I mean, d- there's been like already I think a million or two million views of this thing. It's yeah. not like I would be. It's not like I'm the guy who took the video or I'd be breaking the. But there's just something gross about it because he's ten years old. Yeah. But he's. It is so good. It is so fundamentally good. This even from a distance, you're like, oh my god. Really. Oh, it's gorgeous. So did Tiger come out and have a comment about it? No. Or? 
did Tiger have a comment? Well, no, I mean, is he like... He doesn't even comment after he wins the Masters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he have a comment about it. Well, I don't know if he was pissed and went to no, Twitter I and said, I probably was, because he's yeah. all about privacy. Well, sure. Yeah. So I, I want to know, c- can I or should I? And it's, I guess now it doesn't matter because everybody who's listening to this that wants to see it will go find it. It's That's not, true. not hard to find it. So yeah. should I do it or not? Well, I mean, you like... Post it or not? I'm, and what, what is the accompanying comment you want me to write? Well, how do you know I want you to write anything? I didn't, I didn't give you permission already. I'm, I'm private about my daughter. I don't, you know, I'm very particular about what you I tweet out. You don't want her basketball exploits being on t- when she dunks and stuff. That's right. That. That's exactly right. right. I mean, I, if it's already out there, it's probably not the biggest deal in the world. <sighs> it's so good. Really? <sighs> and you can tell. And you've seen a lot of golf swings in your day. You've seen a couple. and It's that good. <laughs> Crazy. It's really good. All right. Well, now I have to go see it. Now I'm dying to see this. It's I- really good. And it's real quick. It's like five seconds. Boom. One golf swing. Did the kid do well in the tourney? Do we know? I, mean, I don't have any idea. Yeah. Want me to call down there? <laughs> yeah, please do. Just to get a little weirder. <laughs> All right, one uh, quick rest in peace. This is my last one. Yeah, for, I have um, one more before I want to talk about the Linsky interview. Neil Pert, longtime drummer of the band Rush, doesn't mean anything for you, but he no. was an absolute icon. He's been thought of as the best rock drummer of all time. 67 years old, had a crazy life. I mean, not only was the dr- a drummer for 50 years in this huge rock band. Yeah. Um, he lost his 19-year-old daughter to a car accident, and then his wife passed away 10 oh months God. later from cancer. Oh, my God. So in a year, this guy, who's a big, famous drummer, was just alone in his house. Lost his daughter and lost his wife within a year. So he's, had, he's gone through. He's, he's got a book out there that's great. He kind of yeah. talks about it. And then yeah. he took off on a motorcycle across the country, retired from the band, and he writes about all that. And he was a pretty cool dude, and it's kind of sad. He left at 67. He did get remarried eventually. He was 67, yeah. 67? He was, yeah, he had Cause a of death? brain cancer. Oh. Right. And he, uh, he did remarry, and he leaves behind a 10-year-old daughter. So rest in peace to uh, Neil Pert, one of my favorite drummers of all time. I love Rush. I, it's hard to follow that one up. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a rest in peace. He was old. So two things happened on live television during the football pregame, halftime, postgame shows. The guy from the NFL Hall of Fame walked on to the CBS set unannounced. At least CBS knew, but, but Bill Coward didn't. And right in the middle of a live segment in a pregame show on Saturday, the guy walks out. Coward's like, what, what's going on? And he sees this guy, and this guy's kind of a huge guy, and everybody knows who he is. He's the guy who delivers the good news. Oh, gotcha, yeah. And he breaks the news to Bill Cower. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. And Bill starts to cry. Oh, that's and nice. And it was, it, was it was an unbelievable scene. And then, I don't know if you saw it, at halftime of the Seahawks game, if no, you were watching the halftime no. show, he, did, he must have flown across the country to L.A., did the exact same thing on the Fox show, walked out and surprised Jimmy Johnson and said, congratulations, you're in the Hall of Fame. Same thing. He, Jimmy Johnson could not speak. He was so choked up. He was so surprised oh, that's by great. it. that's and, great. And so I guess that's the way they both found out. And I started thinking, in particular, Cower, I went back and I looked at his numbers, Hall of Fame coach, 161 wins, 12 wins in the playoffs, two Super Bowls, one Super Bowl title. Okay, the one against the Seahawks. One right? against the Seahawks. Yeah. He won eight divisions, ten postseasons. He whatever. He's he's or ten ten. Uh, yeah, eight divisions, two wild cards. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. And I started thinking about Mike Holmgren there you again. Go. I go back to Mike Holmgren. And I wonder why why don't we ever discuss Mike Holmgren as a Hall of Famer? I guess we do, but you don't hear a lot of like momentum. I'll have to ask Peter King or Jason Locken for the next time I have him on the P episode maybe this week because you look at it. Cowher won one sixty one. Holmgren won 174. Okay. Uh, Cower had 12 playoff wins. Holmgren had 13 playoff wins. Jeez. Cower went to two Super Bowls. 
Holmgren went to three Super Bowls. They both won. And they both won one. Won one, right? One. So he went to one more Super Bowl. He has one more playoff win. He's got 13 more regular season or, or regular wins, including the playoffs. I, I, I don't see how Bill Cowher is a Hall of Famer and and Mike Holmgren, we're not even discussing whether he's a Hall of Famer. He doesn't even make it to the final boat. I don't see that much of a difference. Between, in fact, I, I, it almost feels like Holmgren had a better career than Bill Cowher. I don't know. I just I don't want to bring that up. Homer doesn't have a TV show for the guy to walk on. I mean, he's been walking around all night <laughs> to, trying to find. You have to walk him. into Softy's radio show or something. <laughs> That's I don't right. And <laughs> Softy will probably cry harder than Mike Holmgren about uh, it. Oh dear. And I, I want to finish. And I know that this is going to be a little bit of a uh, a showstopper, but it's at the end. You know, the Mark Kalinsky interview. I think a lot of people by now have heard the Mark Mark Kalinsky interview. Tyler's dad came on episode seventy three. We talked a lot about mental illness and and the stigma of it and getting these people some help and i i just wanted to say that i i heard from a lot of our listeners some of which have been touched directly by mental illness in their family i've heard and i shared some of them with you i've heard from so many there's very few things that we do on these episodes of mitch unfiltered that that draw the reaction that I got from the Mark Kalinske interview. If you've not heard it, by the way, it's episode 73. It's pretty easy to find. Go to the table of contents, listen to it. It's really important. I, I want to share two, two emails that I got. Okay? I'm ready. Two emails that I got, and, and then we can finish up episode 74. Good morning, Mitch. And I, I'm not going to say who they're from. It's not important who they're from. Good morning, Mitch. I wanted to thank you for bringing up Tyler Halinski on episode 73 and 73P. It opened my eyes in a big way. I was the kind of person that thought, no way, I don't know anyone that's depressed or mentally ill or contemplating suicide because only crazy people do that. These last two podcasts made me think of my own sister, who within the last three years has come out as gay, been in a physically abusive relationship and moved halfway across the country away from our family for a job. All of these things kind of stuck out to me as a really bad situation for someone who could be at risk of suicide. Your shows prompted me to call her, ask her how she's doing, and it led to a really long and hard conversation. But it paid off because my mom and dad then flew out to see her, and apparently she wasn't doing well at all. Thank you, Mitch, from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you because I understand now these people want help. My sister wanted help. She just needed someone to reach out to and offer help. It stops my heart cold to think if I would have missed these this week's podcast that I wouldn't have called her. Thank you. Wow. And if that doesn't tell you mental illness and these segments, whether it's our podcast or somewhere else, TV, the articles that are written are important. I, I don't know. I don't know what does. And I'll read to you another one, which has really, really stuck with me since I received it. Mitch. I wanted to tell you how special your interview with Mark Kalinsky was. My very first memory as a child is of my father's second suicide attempt. I was three years old. I didn't know what was happening, of course, but I remember seeing him being carried out of the house on a stretcher. There were a few more attempts, sleeping pills, liquor, etc. But fortunately, those attempts also failed. My birthday wish for most of my young childhood was for my dad to get better. And eventually, my dad recovered enough to keep going, and he stuck around until he passed away a few years ago. He suffered from depression his whole life, but I'm lucky enough that he was able to sing at my wedding and see his granddaughter a few times before he passed. Going through his things after he passed, I found a journal that he kept when he was really struggling with depression, before I was born and when I was young. 
In it, I found a letter that he had written to a one-year-old me and when he thought he was going to die. As you can imagine, it's heartbreaking, but I think that I'm unbelievably lucky to have it. He then included in a later email this paragraph. Mitch, this was, dis- this was dated Dece- uh, September 26, 1977. It's a two-page letter, but here's the last paragraph. I loved you so, my dear son. You were the most precious thing that I had ever seen. You were something sacred, and when I ceased to be a good father, when my depression made every day a struggle and the sadness came every day, I began to feel that I had to leave so that I wouldn't infect you with my sadness and depression. I just lost the will to struggle, and so finally I chose to die rather than face the loss of you and my family. Our listener continues to write to me, Mitch, I'm not sure that there's a point to this story, and I hadn't planned on saying this much, but suffice it to say, I understand that depression and other mental illnesses are sicknesses just like cancer. And just like cancer, it takes treatment and help to have a chance at getting better. I appreciate you spreading the word. These are two of a myriad of emails that I received in the wake of the Mark Kalinske interview. And so I'll say again what I said on 73P, I think it was. You may not think that depression and mental illness has touched you or that you're exposed to it you may say i'm fine and everybody around me is fine you don't really know and listen to the holinsky interview consider the people around you just put your radars up if you're not if you've never experienced mental illness just look around and you might see behavior like this guy did with his sister you might wonder wait a second is there something wrong there and reach out and if you are one of the people that like me has gone through a little bit of darkness and you're listening to this, then remember what Mark Kalinsky said during that interview that, you know, the stigma is that it's weak to look for help when you're struggling. The stigma is that that's the sign of a weak person when the truth is it's the exact opposite. The epitome of strength and courage is to say, which I didn't have, I was too ashamed and I didn't say, and it got me into a lot of trouble. The epitome of courage of courage and strength is if you're struggling out there and you're listening to this, go to a loved one, go to a friend, go to a coworker, go to a counselor, go to somebody. Go to a doctor. Just, you know? Go to a doctor. Yeah. Find somebody on the street that you don't know and just talk. Tell somebody. Tell somebody, hey, I'm not feeling right. I'm really sad. I don't know. And get the help that you deserve. Everyone deserves a little bit of help. That's all I need to say. I've noticed that when I go to the doctor now, you, you always have to fill out the papers, but they have a, a mental health questionnaire on the back, which yeah. I appreciate, which yeah. it feels like yeah. that's a step in the right direction. Right. Do, you, do you feel like there's something going wrong at home when you leave the house? Right. You know, all these questions to try to, you know, we're, we're addressing it a little more, it feels like. So. I, just, I just feel like so many, so many lives. I mean, I, I, you know, going back to episode one, I never expected. I did episode one as a, as a start to this show. To this podcast, I felt like I needed to share with people what was going through my heart and my head. And so I did it. I don't know, you know, I knew that it might help some people, but I didn't have any idea it would have the impact that it did in so many people. And it just has come into focus all the way now into 70s and the 70s and with Mark Linsky that we can save a lot of lives if we just talk about it and we don't make it a secret and a, and a, and a bad thing. That's right. You know what I mean? Yep. It, it's just it, just because, you know, for years and years and years, it was like it was like gauche to talk about it. It, it was embarrassing to talk. 
I think the more the public talks about it and embraces that here, it's here, it's there. Let's help people. Let's help people talk about it. I think so many lives can be saved. You're not alone, and yeah. you don't have to Tyler, live like that. Tyler Helinski, Mark says it in the interview. If he had somebody to talk to, if he had just told us that what was going on, he'd be here today. Yeah. We would have gotten him the help. We would have got, he might not be happy today. We would have saved, we could... All we have to do is the discussion and get people to be open about it and not to feel like embarrassed and ashamed, like, who am I to trouble somebody else with my problems? Right. It can't be that. If, if you get by that, we have a chance. All right. And to destigmatize that, well, they look like they have a good life. They have a nice life. He's got a good job. He's handsome. He's got a nice wife. You know, doesn't work that way. It doesn't, none of that stuff matters, no. right? It doesn't work that doesn't way. It doesn't work that way. All right, Seahawks are finished. I will say, nice job on that, though, for interviewing him and then the, the feedback we'll and check, helping people. We'll check and, back in with him. I suppose I need to, uh, we need to name the show. Yeah, I mean, my. You want uh, Manu? You want Manu to Yasasopo? Well, I thought he was going to be my father in law for a, <laughs> a good 90 minutes you at lunch. You want Merlin Olsen from the Fearsome Foursome? And then he did flowers? <laughs> then he that delivered was actually flowers? That's a pretty smart idea to hire him for that because he was like a tough guy, oh right? Oh, my God. He was the toughest of the tough. I didn't remember Merlin Olsen until Little House on the Prairie. Wasn't he on that show? <laughs> I think that's what I first heard of him. We could do Bob. <laughs> Let's just do Merlin. We could do Bob Lilly. Yeah, I don't remember. Or 74 for the Cowboys. Bruce Matthews was a Hall of Fame offensive lineman, part of the Matthews family. There's Clay, Clay G. Junior, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, the, you got Bruce, Bruce Matthews was a really good offensive lineman. I think for the Oilers for a while. Maybe with Warren Moon yeah. during that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, let's do Merlin. Let's do Flowers. Let's, let's do, Merlin. do Merlin Olsen. Episode Why not? Merlin Olsen. All right. Episode Merlin Olsen. We'll talk to you at 74P on Thursday is in the books.